This episode is powered by Poddex. Just let you know that this episode of Talking Pop is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episodes starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you want to check out poddex.com. Make sure to use the promo code TALKPOP, that's T-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your first order. Poddex are the hottest new tool for podcasters looking to have more meaningful conversations or to simply gamify their podcasts. Simply shuffle up the cards, ask a question, and let the content roll. Get yours today at poddex.com. Make sure to use that promo code TALKPOP, that's T-A-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your order. Now let's take you to your regularly scheduled program. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday. It's another edition of Talking Pop. It's the podcast on all things pop culture. I'm your host, The Franchise. Of course, joining me is my co-host, Biko. Let you know, guys, we did a couple of changes. If you haven't been to our Facebook um, lately, I actually, you know, being that we've been around for almost like three years now and we are slowly approaching episode 100, I decided to give our logo a little, like, update. So hopefully if you checked out our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter, I actually... Showed the picture of the new logo, kind of showed the Biko. So, Biko, what do you think of the new logo? No, I like it. I mean, I guess it's, I, I, we should like it as people who make content. But, uh, no, I like the colors. Uh, so, hopefully, you guys check that out if you can. I know uh, it's kind of like you're changing album covers, but uh, a lot of podcasts do it. So, I figured it's, it's a good way to keep it refreshing. And uh, I like it. I like, I like the, the, the two color blend. So, no complaints on my end. Cool. Um, pretty much for today, you know, we're on episode 99 of the podcast now, so it's, we're getting close to 100, it's crazy now, we're gonna hit, like, 100 next week, um, today I think we wanted to talk about, like, stuff that happened, like, over the weekend, um, actually, we're gonna do a little sports about it, um, I came to occur to me that UFC 257 was last weekend, and I just said, you know what, 
Um, it was Dustin Poirier versus uh, Conor McGregor, number two. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a fan of Conor McGregor. And, you know, the last, like, UFC fight I saw was him against Khabib. And, of course, we saw the result on that one. And, of course, this is, like, basically, like, the second UFC I rented. So, pretty much, me and Biko, we rented um, UFC 257, and we checked it out. Um, pretty much the main card wasn't bad. I, we didn't see the preliminaries, but there were some good um, fights and all. I think the one that stood out to me was the Iron Michael Chandler fight because it was his debut on UFC, you know, being at Bellator most of the time. You know, he's only like, what, 34 years old? And, man, he was a beast. He took care of his opponent really well. Um, he's in the same division as Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, so uh, bright future for him right there for his debut. He did a really good job. Um, now talking out to, like, the main fight, you know, this was something that, I guess it's been brewing, you know, like this is like the second time they both go at it. You know, it's been a while since Conor McGregor has been in the UFC for a while. First, he said he was going to take well, some. Not, for him. not necessarily that for him. Um, just like the like last. It's a long time that they've. they've like between fights, yeah. Specific. No, between each other. Specific. Between each other, yeah. Um, he has four fights slated for this year, but. Um, and, and we can mention it, but even after seeing this one, I think that's. Because uh, up in the air, because like, he. I think, um, not that he ruined his reputation, but he definitely transcended, or, yeah, he kind of transcended what he was originally doing, kind of like, because, I mean, he went into prize fighting, which is just, I think, another word for boxing, that's what they would call it back in the day, besides boxing, but, um, with the whole crossover of fighting Mayweather, I think that, that, that boosted the sport, which is nice, uh, for UFC, uh, particularly MMA, but UFC being the, the prominent leader and uh, the most marketable brand of MMA, uh, and I was telling you the other day, the UFC is basically WWE, um, and Bellator is, uh, uh, like WCW, uh, basically all the other ones who are in competition. So, uh, given that he, he, he collected such a big bag with fighting Mayweather, and then we did, he did come back to fight Cowboy Cerrone, and we saw that he was, it was an excellent match, he, he ended up being victorious on that one too. So, the hype for this one, the hype for this one was carrying over because yeah, he hadn't faced Dustin Poirier in a long time. Um, Dustin was was definitely someone that wanted was killing and hit within the lightweight division, and so it was only inevitable that he would get his rematch against Connor because uh, Connor was victorious the first their first bout. Uh, so yeah, it was a good night that it started out with a plenty of fights. Uh, this one, the main event in particular that we'll be talking about, didn't start until. <laughs> Until, like, well into the, the night, um, I couldn't imagine people... I mean, I can only imagine people who paid for the fight and, and really were working for the main event. They really had to uh, really had to stay up for it uh, compared to other previous events that were probably, like, you will see the main event start at, like, 10. And we got this one maybe, like, well into almost 11.30. So, the hype was real. Uh, the good thing about it is that, the, like you mentioned with Michael Chandler, uh, who is a big... Big, big contender coming in from Bellator. Uh, and he, his performance was excellent. Just, God, just a lot of control, focus, straight killer. And and, and that's what you like to see. I, that's what I like to see in UFC fights. Um, I like to see somebody who, one, is confident, two, shows their skills. And then, like I was mentioning it to you, that Bellator is no slouch of, of, of a league either. I mean, yeah. a lot of these fighters go to Bellator, go to Pride Fighting to get their chance to really cross over to UFC once uh, Dana White gets his head out of his ass and, and takes time to 
when he's not at the casino betting and cheating on his wife, he's on his way to like, trying to look around <laughs> to see who's, who's a good prospect and stuff. And and as we've seen throughout the years, a lot of guys coming from most from different parts. I mean, we've gotten a lot of uh, Olympian athletes. I mean, Ben Askren being one of the last wrestlers to come in and he getting fucked up by, uh, by whatchamacallit, um, Jorge Masvidal uh, in, in less than like six seconds, fucking up with the flying knee. And, and we see that like, yeah, you can build a pipe around fighters, but like you're, you're going into the UFC and you're going into that octagon and anything really, I mean, not everything goes, but fighting styles are put to the test. So it was it was something that I think with the Poirier and McGregor match in particular, it, it was something that was getting built up. So, but the one fight that you you were saying was stood out uh, was the Michael Chandler fight, uh, to where he just he just looked like he dominated, just dominated. And and my favorite part was his after his his uh, the post fight interview when he was you know taking shots at uh, Khabib and and. Um, uh, I mean, he did say McGregor, but as we'll talk about it, we'll. See, I mean, everything's kind of up in the air as far as his career goes. Uh, but he was, you know, calling out some top contenders in the lightweight division, and I can see him going far. I mean, dude, dude looks like a, dude's a beast. I mean, like this, that was a good card. I would say, like of all of them, honestly, I think the only one that went like three rounds was the what's her name? It was the second um, strawweight fight. Tina, two, I forgot her name, but let me pull up the card because most of the the card, the matches that you went to the second round and usually ended by TKO, which was like sporadically, it's like it was like very less submissions. It was more like I'll say, but I mean, I seen UFC in the past where yeah, there's some matches where they end like in submission or you know, and when somebody gets severely injured. But these were like this is like the most I seen where most of it were you know stopped due to like TKO or knockout. So. Let me pull up to UFC 257 results. Fight card. Here we go. Here we go. I'll just pull up right here. Go on the UFC site. And like I said, the event did not disappoint. It was really hyped event. You know, they were doing it. I think it was like the last paper we were doing Abu Dhabi because, you know, next month they're going to be heading back to Las Vegas. I guess they're going to have a setup there in Las Vegas. So let me go ahead and. Here you go, main card. Yeah, it was Dan Hooker that Michael Chandler uh, took care of Dan Hooker. Yeah, it was Jessica I versus Joanne Calderwood. And that went to like that went to like three rounds. It was more of a decision. I was like the only one I went to three rounds on because another one that was good too was the Mahmoud Mordadov versus Andrew Sanchez. Because oh my god, that went to second round uh that went to three rounds, but like the third round, like um, Mahmoud did this big, like, right-handed jab on the side of uh, Andrew Sanchez's head to the point his leg, his, like, left leg started twitching. Real funny, but it's like, oh, shoot. And then he just went down, and it's like, oh, God. Yeah, he, got he got clocked out, and that was crazy. And then, of course, Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Rivas opened the, the card and went to second rounds, and Marina Rodriguez, man, she dominated in that one. Once round two, a KO, TKO. So, like I said... But Michael Chan, Dan Hooker, that was, you know, that was pretty much a really good, like, co-main event fight because, you know, like like Michael Chan coming from Bellator, making a statement, making his presence known in his debut. And like I said, he enjoyed that post-fight, you know, interview where he was calling out the contender of the champion, Khabib, of the division, Conor McGregor and all that. Like, looking in the direction of Dana White, saying, when are we going to do this, you know? Well, that was good. I enjoyed it. Like I said, even though I'm like, 
with I'm more with Dodi. God, I enjoy UFC a little bit better compared to boxing. I I, I prefer UFC over boxing. It's, <laughs> it's not fixed. It's, not, it's real boxing. Just, not that there is anything. Technical not about not it. not you know not this like just the sport of boxing. It's just I don't know. Like boxing has become more and more like for the money basically. Like mm-hmm. who wants the bigger paycheck basically. And I mean, it's it, it's been like that. Um, I think even post Tyson days, uh, even throughout the '90s, like we'll get a couple good boxing in between the, the thousands. But boxing is one of those things you can definitely fix, considering uh, the different fighters' places. I mean, we can look at Mayweather's record. Um, no disrespect. I mean, he's probably one of the best, maybe the the best uh, technical boxer of all time. Maybe one of the he's. I mean, he's always going to be up in talks as far as him and Muhammad Ali, um, as far as just being legendary boxers in the beginning game. And they're very, I mean, he's one of the, he's the best defensive boxer in, in, ever that we've seen. Um, but I think the, him holding, him holding the undefeated record has been something to where they can't, they, there's any fight he picks up, it's never going to be tarnished. Uh frankly because boxing wants to keep that as another promotional uh tool they can use uh mm-hmm. and and mayweather i mean mayweather draws people i mean he he this is what made him rich like, yeah and he, he he has a great promotion team he he draws crowds everyone likes him he i mean for him being his age he is extremely athletic still like that guy i mean his dad like he, he learned a lot from his, his dad being his teacher and and learning so like he breathes boxing he's, he's the perfect example of what boxing is and how how technically strong you can take it however as the years have gone by boxing boxing has taken the back seat to UFC for that exact reason the authentic, authenticity of UFC the dangerous uh, parameters being set for both people going into that ring it says it's as primal as is anything yeah. as far as human human uh experience interaction and behavior so boxing doesn't exempt i mean it doesn't really exemplify that because the boxing is a sweet science and we do see science being played in there mm-hmm. but ufc you're you're talking about any 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 fighter can go in there with a specific style that they're an expert in mm-hmm and we and that's going to be used against a, a an Olympic wrestler or someone who's a master in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, or Judo, somebody who who also could be a very well all around fighter and uh, just pure striking. We saw that even if we're going to talk about McGregor, like he definitely exemplified a big big boxing strike stance most of this fat fight. So. And, and obviously he's he's taken that from his training of uh, having to go against Mayweather. I mean, yeah. call it what you will. Yeah, it was basically fixed. We all kind of knew what was going to happen. Uh, but he held his own in that Mayweather fight. So I'm sure that... Uh, and, and McGregor is one of the best strikers of all time in the UFC. Like, that's what's got him to be one of the best champions. So for him for him to kind of use and mix up his striking power, his, like, striking power and technique... With boxing, with boxing, it, it, it makes sense. It, it's only going to improve his his uh his stand up game, and and yeah, take Connor to the ground. He's got a good ground game as well. Uh, uh, we didn't see that with Khabib because Khabib is just a fucking monster when it comes to ground game. Like that's what yeah. he wants to do, but he'll beat you in either one. And, and so, on the light of McGregor in the past couple of years, uh, him, him losing to Khabib. 
which was a, a very anticipated fight and it made sense. Um, Khabib was just too good. And then for him to come back and uh, and beat Cowboy Cerrone, this fight and and this fight was very anticipated as well because like we were you know it was a whole year of the pandemic, but we still needed some good. We needed a solid fight to kind of. I want to say they wanted to rejuvenate. They wanted to also, you know, help uh, the site of Abu Dhabi, especially being uh, a big UFC market to to showcase such a fight like this. Oh, and, yeah. And I, I'm so glad they got Dustin Poirier, such an excellent fighter, to kind of, you know, help uh, be the, the side-by-side with McGregor and, and, and sharing the main event. And to just both fighters really coming in, and, and I like the fact they had like a good respect for each other. It's like I, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like the, you see that level of respect between the two. It's like you know after the you know the fight itself after you know, I mean yeah, McGregor had the first round because he with the strikes, and of course they had that one point there were you know there, were, there was a takedown, but after that it was just I don't know Poirier had he worked a leg. I think that kind of what helped on his end because. Dupoirier is a striker as well, but I can tell he was he used like weakening the left um the left, right leg of Conor McGregor like he, oh yeah he, he kept weakening weakening working on that leg working on that calf it really to the point like where pretty much knocked the bounce like McGregor's bounce off which you saw the leg kind of like gave in and he started and that's when you know Poirier unleashed and started striking to the point you know the ref had to stop. Oh no, I mean there and that's the thing he wasn't defending against the kicks because Conor was was. And we saw it even within the yeah. first round. Connor was really controlling the match. It didn't. I mean, if you look at Poirier, he was looking a little slug, not sluggish, mm-hmm. but it looked like he was he was really taking those hits and slop. But that was, I think, that was just because how he was holding his body movement. It didn't seem like. I mean, if if you look out from a different perspective, it would seem like Connor was having control over this fight, and he was. It, it seemed like he. I mean, he was landing strikes. He was. Uh, he was running up uh, Poirier to the corners. I mean, there was a point when they locked up on the fence. Poirier kind of grabbed him, and we really—I really thought that we we're going to see some um, solid, sound, sound, solid ground game from each fighter. Uh, yeah. And and you can hear the coaches from McGregor yelling out like positives of how he had his head placement on the shoulders. I mean, we saw McGregor pull out the shoulder strikes that he would use to to very much take uh, Cowboy Cerrone out. And which led for him to take such a victory against uh, Cowboy, so who is a beloved fighter in the UFC. I feel like he's like a, a fighter's fight, a fighter's fighter, in a sense that when comedians say like, "Oh, that guy's a comedian's comedian," as opposed to like mainstream acts, like that guy's mm-hmm. like you know, uh, what artists appreciate in a sense. So to see McGregor pull that uh, that that tool and, and as he was put, held against the fence was uh, very just. Very well done, and so and that's what at that point you didn't know where it was ha- what was going to happen because uh, Poirier was taking those shots, and and for it being a five minute round, it, it, you could see it, it could have gone either way. Um, but then once we get to the second round, it was just straight up like it, it, it kind of turned into a grudge match at that point. Yeah, um, both fighters just was just sticking to the stand up game. They're both striking, sharing blows. And that's where I want to say uh, we see a factor of McGregor's game or where he's at conditioning-wise mm-hmm. to why I mentioned earlier that, like, for him being slated for four fights, uh, I, I, I after this fight, it's kind of, I mean, it's the first fight of the year for him. So yeah. it's it's uh, it's a crazy thing to see 
for someone who has already been. Uh, I want to say he contracted before fights, or maybe he that's what he was aiming to to plan with Dana White because that's Dana White's boy. So, and as we see, Poirier and him were trading shots, and Poirier just took the upper hand, uh, still relying on those shin kicks that were that's which was the main. Uh, the main uh, Achilles heel for McGregor at that point because he really just wasn't blocking him. He he wasn't really blocking the kicks at that time. And it was that McGregor was going for more of the jab, going well, for the strikes, basically. Like I you mean, said, he's a striker. He was. It was working for him in the first round. Yeah. So, but he was still taking them, and that's the thing. Like you can only take so many kicks, and and there is a way to block kicks, and he wasn't doing it. Cause no. It, it didn't seem like he he wasn't. It didn't seem like he was really focused on that. Like he's just like, oh, it's fine. I, I have him on the, my strikes. And you could tell, like he was really, he was really showing control in the first round. And Poirier just seemed like he came off the the gate very much. Um, so what I'm looking for, uh, kind of like he he he. I'm I'm sure they they had a lot of anticipation, so he he came out just like you know a little un, unsure, like he was trying to read McGregor, mm-hmm. and so and McGregor looked very confident. But then he he got a couple of right hooks to his face and and the rest is history. He took a shiner straight down and he went down to the mat and then Poirier was right on top of him, laying him down and they called the match. So by knockout and it was it was so great to see Poirier take it uh, take the win and and with all class. Same thing with McGregor for for being one of the best trash talkers in the game. No, he was like really. He, you could the 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 look on his face. You could just tell that he felt like well, first of all, he was knocked. Not out, but like he, he was definitely like, as you can see on the memes. But you could, he fucking took a shot, and and that's when you like it went either way. And I'm like to see Poirier. I'm sure it stunned a lot of people, including the people who bet a lot of money. McGregor. Yeah, because McGregor was the favorite in that fight. Oh yeah, three hundred clearly odds, like he, he was, was clearly the, the favorite. The favorite. I mean, and as you should. That's the thing. As you should, you're always gonna bet on a favorite, and. We see Poirier kind of, you know, they give him the mic. He said a lot of, of meaningful words. You know, he said, I didn't even want to fight. But for this, I'm, you know, I'm glad that both of us came in and did our thing. And, and he, not that he, he doesn't like to fight. He's, he's got his charity work that he really focuses in on. And I think it just speaks so highly of his character and who he is as a person. And to see him really win this fight was amazing. Uh, I think he just got more, even more respect from uh, USC fighters and, and fans a lot all over the world. And. To take out McGregor, you know the the uh, what do you even call it the, 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 the mark the notorious McGregor to being the most marketable asset to UFC. Excuse me, it's it's like what you, it's what you like to see. So, and for him to say uh, good things on McGregor, like he you know mentioned that he would fight him again if if they give him the chance, which I think they will. I think they're going to do a part three because Dana fucking seeing this go down the way it did, I'm sure he was already fucking contemplating. Oh, we got to do part three. Yeah, do the yeah do the rubber match basically because he got more. Just just money. So McGregor coming out saying, which was kind of all in everyone's mind that those kicks are fucking him up. Uh, he wasn't. He just the, the but the first thing he mentioned was his conditioning. Uh, he hadn't fought in a while he mentioned inactivity between all this time and and he was very we got a very humbling mcgregor yes yeah, he was like really just very humble he like it's 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 the way you take the loss you, it, you recognize and are aware why the mistakes you made and how you came into the fight he seemed he had mentioned he's like i just inactivity messed with me i didn't feel like i was fully prepared 
I thought I was conditioned enough, and he did look great. No, he, he looked, looked good. He, they both look great condition. I think uh, Poirier put on five to ten pounds of, of muscle even more to get to one fifty. So it's just like it's a, it's 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 insane to see the growth on on uh, Poirier throughout these years, and McGregor even being conditioned enough just to get into this fight. But he had he had mentioned something very important. That's just the inactivity in between. I mean, like this guy's got a lot of money now from all these fights. So you know. For him to do something like this it was definitely a fan, um, a fan favorite fight to bring back. So, or at least the the rivalry they had leading up to their first first battle. But it made sense. Um, I'm glad to see that he was fully aware. But yeah, he mentioned those kicks fucked him up. You know, if it wasn't, he wasn't gonna get taken to the ground. So we, Poirier had to improvise, and, and you know he was really mixing it up with the kicks. He was taking his. He was taking his moves lightly, for, even though it seemed like he was definitely going to be someone who was going to be put on the ropes. But uh, excellent fight on both parties. Uh, hell of a hell of a match. And I, I I would hope to see a part three. It'd be nice. Uh, but honestly, moving forward, I don't know. I think McGregor, not his legacy, but after seeing this fight and for him to kind of lay out the intentions in the universe as uh, as someone who wants to fight. You know, three more fights throughout this year after the first one. Um, you know, total four fights. After this one, I mean, I can see him do another Poirier one, but I I don't know if he's a contender anymore because we like he to 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 stay in this, in that elite to stay at an elite level in that division and and maybe uh, maybe we're seeing the last like days of McGregor's fighting time, time you know I mean, he's 32 which's not bad i mean but you got to understand like the inactivity does set you back a lot and when you're in your 30s you have to work just as extra just as harder yeah because you're fighting guys who are still coming in from their 24 or mid 20s coming in on their prime uh, and not saying you can get a prime physique within your 30s, even sometimes even your 40s, but, you know, uh, Father Time comes in and, and knocks on your door sooner than later, and, and it makes sense that, like, he has to keep that conditioning regimen up. But all in all, it, it was nice to see uh, the, the good sportsmanship between both of them. It really showed, uh, it really showed the, the class that this, these fights can take and just how beautiful... Um, the sport of fighting could be, even though it's just so, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's real. So it's always good to see that these guys take a good sportsman sportsmanship towards the end of the fights. And it was great. It just looked like a mutual respect. It was, it was just nice to see, even though he was hobbling around, but it, oh, it's yeah, always a beautiful it was... thing to see. Just, just class act on both, on both ends. And, uh... No, like I said, it was worth the 70 bucks <laughs> to, yeah. to, to rent it. Surprised. So it was, it was worth it. Obviously it was, it was a good, like I said, it was enjoyable. I enjoyed it. You know, it's been a while since I've seen the UFC fights in a while. And I know you, Biko, you follow them a lot. So yeah. you keep track of them. So yeah, it's like I said, it's one of those things I do enjoy. Um, Like I said, don't get me wrong. Like I, one thing I do kind of follow too is like professional wrestling, of course, but you know, with WWE and AEW, which probably brings me to the next point. Um, um, yesterday, um, Peacock announced a deal with they're gonna with WWE Network. They uh, with WWE they reached an agreement to a five year, one point one billion dollar a year deal with WWE for US streaming rights to the WWE Network. So pretty much, guys, if you had been a subscriber since twenty fourteen. Um, it's been a lot of good run for WWE Network. I mean, they have a good subscription base. Um, of course, it was based a lot with their international market as well. But 
you know, with the pandemic and stuff, I think with WWE just trying to get that extra revenue in, because, you know, with professional wrestling, you know, with the pandemic right now, it's kind of hard. You can't travel anywhere. You got to work with fans. So right now with WWE, you have to, like, they said they made money last year just not traveling and having just using, you know, wrenching facilities. They used the Amway Center. First, they were doing the Performance Center with no fans, and they did it at the Amway Center for a few months. Now, right now, they're at the Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Florida, in Tampa, until, uh, you know, the Rays have to use it with baseball. So, but they announced this deal yesterday. It's, it's a, when I read it, it was like a five-year, multi-year deal. So, it's an, basically, the whole number is going to Peacock. So, what it means for people who have the WWE Network, because we've been there since day one, I think what's going to happen is either they're going to send us an email how to switch the account over to Peacock. I mean, I was looking at the price. Peacock's like five bucks for the premium with the ads. But, I mean... If the ads are not annoying, it's fine. I mean, chances are the ads are normally just like either their ads for other programs and stuff, which what thirty seconds only, so it's not much of an inconvenience. So, but that's kind of cool. In the long run, I can see why WWE went that route with Peacock because number one, Raw is on USA Network, NXT's on there, and the fact that you know they get it, they get like Peacock has also access to other programming as well. And since they have NBC Universal and you know NWE have a good broadcasting relationship, and plus NBC Universal benefiting as well because now they get to be one of the homes for like the pay per views, like for like WrestleMania, all that. Um, and right now they're seeing the date right now for the carryover will be March eighteenth. Um, so like I said, they'll still offer like the WWE pay per views will still be offered to traditional means as well. You can still get them through your cable subscriber. But to me, it's like you know farewell WWE Network US. But for people in the national markets, WWE Network will still live on international markets. So if you're in Canada, it's still be alive in Canada. It's just to U.S. rights. So WWE Network will still be alive in other countries. But like I said, now it's like my excuse now, I'm going to have Peacock. Well, I'll save a little bit because now it's going to be 5 bucks instead of paying $10 I've been paying before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can deal with the ads. I deal with Hulu ads anyway, so it's not much of a difference. And plus, we get to see the office too. <laughs> um, and also, too, uh, I think today, um, going to Royal Rumble this coming weekend. Um, uh, honestly, the the card looks all right. I mean, the whole thing about Drew McIntyre taking on Goldberg is one thing. Uh, I'm looking forward to the match, and of course, um, the Royal Rumble match itself. Um, yesterday, I was watching Monday Night Raw. It was like the go home show for you know for Royal Rumble. And, you know, doing the final, like, meet and meet face-to-face between Goldberg director who came off of being quarantined for COVID. Because he had COVID two weeks ago. So he had to be quarantined, so he was doing, like, the promos from home. Um, even he said that it sucked because he's one of the lucky few that it didn't have the main symptoms of coronavirus. But he did say that he lost a sense of taste for a while, and it sucked. And But he kept, you know, pushing. But he said that this is something that... And I like the promo he did last night when he first came out in the ring for a while for the first time in two weeks. He said that this disease not easy to come across. Like, this disease is bad, but we will overcome it. We'll fight through, which was good because it's like, you know, hey, it happens to even the biggest person, you know? That means that, like him, like him, anybody can get it. So that's basically what's showing there, but at the same time, showing that perseverance. And, of course, the biggest thing, too, is that Royal Rumble match because it's three... Men and 30 women, you know, over top rope, you get the opportunity to WrestleMania, which this year, they announced, they had like a press conference a few weeks ago, 
like a mock newscasting where obviously it's Triple H and Stephanie McMahon dresses news anchors, um, pretty much announcing the WrestleMania plans for the next few years. So this year they're actually, because last year was supposed to be at Raymond James Stadium, but this year they said they're going to have WrestleMania 37 at Raymond James Stadium this year. They are Tampa, and I think the way they're trying to do is they might try to fit like at least 25,000 fans at least the most. Because capacity-wise, you know, they got to have a limit. They can give them, like, they're saying at least like 25,000 for now. Probably spread out, but that's the plan. That next year will be in Dallas, and then 2022 is going to be at SoFi Stadium in California. Because the big thing was, is originally the the whole thing too was the one thing they were trying to push for is the whole Rock versus Roman Reigns because you know they're both cousins, they're both you know family, and with Roman you know being honestly right now Roman Reigns is having a good run as a heel right now because now he's mixing a lot of like personal stuff with it with the family and stuff. The family line being like the head of the table, head of the, 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 the clan and stuff. Having The Rock come out, you know, talking to them and stuff, try to beat the respect to him. But of course, with The Rock being doing a lot of like media stuff, like he's a Hollywood actor, so he has to get his head, he has his playful. So I can't, I think that's the plan is chances are, probably won't see it next year, possibly with wrestling being in California in two years. We might see it in two years that they might have that match finally. Um, and like I said, it's like, WWE, like, don't get me wrong. It's, they, you think about it, they've been doing their best, they're doing the work throughout this pandemic, you know, at least they're doing their best to provide us entertainment during this time. Mm-hmm. Same thing with AEW, you know, AEW going last year was their second year. And now they've been around for a year and TNT showing a lot of confidence in the work. And, you know, I've been following AEW as well. Um, like with being the elite too, I like the fact that they usually like the being the elite a little bit in their storylines. Into the main thing like Dynamite, and I was reading that Cody Rhodes is like because he started like a wrestling school as well, and one of the students is de- debuting here tonight on Dark or tomorrow on Dynamite. Um, you know, checked out AEW. Go on their YouTube on Tuesdays. They have Dark, which is, they show like a lot of matches. I think tonight's was like sixteen matches or something. So definitely check it out. They got good wrestlers. You know, the wrestlers that wrestle in Indies or wrestling of Honor, New Japan, wrestling TNA, BSPN TNA as well. So right now they're doing the whole collaboration with um, Impact Wrestling. So you're seeing some of the Impact Wrestlers, you know, coming out on AEW. And some of the AEW talent appearing on Impact Wrestling. Just, I guess, to help each other out, basically. Mm. Just to help each other out. Because every time we're all trying to entertain, you know? We're all trying to entertain. or trying to get people, you know, get something to look forward to, you know? Um, with that in mind, uh, I do want to talk about We Find Fish Cobra Kai Season 3. Yeah. And... Overall, the last two episodes, like, it was more like we got to see more of John Kreese. How his personality got shaped. And, of course, you know, Daniel coming back from Okinawa. Finally, that deal went through, like, I guess his thing stayed. And then he comes back finding out what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. He finally learns what's happening. Like, you know, his daughter still has that PTSD. Sam still has that PTSD. Miguel's finally... You know, he's working hard. And, of course, um, Robbie finally gets out of uh, GB on probation. So, he has to take, he has to watch what he's doing. But, of course, he still has that hatred towards his dad. And also, resentment to Mr. LaRusso. To Daniel. So, pretty much. And that's why he ends up going with John Kreese. And John Kreese tries to step in there. You know, pretty much drive a wedge. And, of course, we finally see Allie, played by Elizabeth Shue, make her appearance finally. 
So they had a little reunion, so a little Karate Kid reunion. It was kind of cool because we got to see a little bit of her what happened to her after, you know, Karate Kid pretty much what she did afterwards. Which was, gave some closure to fill on those gaps, especially with Karate Kid Part 2 where, you know, Daniel and her broke up and stuff at the beginning of the movie. And, you know, he ends up going all calm with Mr. Miyagi. And, of course, the whole Eagle Fan Karate. <laughs> we get to see, you know, they're starting a new dojo with Miguel. And then the whole thing of, you know, Johnny seeing Allie had those feelings. But at the same time, you know, he just got with Miguel's mom. And now he has those feelings with her as well. Yeah, we um, we're, we were mentioning, because we had just finished the last episodes a couple days ago, um... And if you guys caught our last episode, we had just kind of talked about our mid-season impressions. Uh, I mean, this is 10 episodes in the third season, so carrying off between uh, the school, high school fight and seeing Miguel uh, progress through his injury and and seeing Cobra Kai changing into what Kreese's uh, style of Kung Fu and Karate is and, and uh, Miyagi-Do trying to kind of re- find some redemption with their reputation of, of uh, I guess, karate being such a defensive, yeah, in the, in the valley. And so we we kind of see uh, Daniel Russo and, and Johnny Lawrence kind of having to join within their own uh, respective dojos in order to compete against or to fight against Kreese and Cobra Kai and, and just them constantly being in fights. Uh, between the ch- their children and as well as the adults, and so we kind of see all that hit the fan towards the end of the season, and uh, it played out very well. We got a, a good fight uh, with within uh, Larusso's within Larusso's home, with them having oh, a yeah. party and, and and Cobra Kai people coming in to really fight, and so we we got to see both. Oh yeah, and then we down. see like um, what's his name, Hawk, um, because you know with Dimitri having his arm injury, we see no, because you know it's like Hawk a little bit. He at first, you know, he was falling in line with John Kreese, but he he saw a little bit little. He forgot to realize that Miguel finally got to him, saying, "Hey, what John Kreese is teaching is wrong," and you could tell after he broke Dimitri's arm that he was starting to regret it. But at the same time, it was like because I think with John Kreese bringing recruits in. Hawk just felt that he was no longer like the number one after since Miguel got hurt and he was no longer number one. Well, yeah, I mean, Kreese wanted somebody different. The no mercy within Cobra Kai's dojo, he wanted somebody to kind of be the next uh, premier fighter. I mean, you saw him convince Tori to join the team because he was using. I mean, this is if you are familiar with Star Wars, it, it, it's just right out of the book. It's it, they kind of using the same sort of story arcs and tropes, just with different characters mm-hmm. uh, in a different. Uh, universe, but we we see Kreese's influence on on these on these children and uh, these young teens going off and and yeah and Hawk was used as a as a, a different type of plot device in order to see that there's there's still lines can, that could be drawn on both sides. But Miguel being a former Cobra Kai, but also following uh, his sensei Johnny. Uh, yeah, because of that uh, loyalty aspect. Yeah, we, because that's what he wanted. That's what to Sensei did. That. Like that's what Sensei does. He looks out for his students. Yeah, but I think with too being Johnny being kind of like the father figure to Miguel. Yeah, to give him that motivation to overcome that injury as well. And of course, like with Sam, it's like she was she's dealing with that PTSD. Yeah, 
Yeah, which I, I mean, they, they, they used that way too much. That that was what I didn't like. I think the most funny thing was those two kids. The one, like that first one. Remember those two young kids? I forgot their names. I don't even remember their names, but they're funny. At first, they're like. If you die, I'm not going to come to your funeral or something. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I was like... I mean, they still had to have their conflict between... But I think eventually... it. Th- eventually, they were able to... Eventually, they were able to... over, You know, put aside the differences and find out who the true enemy is. Well, yeah. The enemy of my enemy is a friend. Yeah. So, it... it, 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 it and they had to capture that towards the end. I mean, I like... I... If if you gave me a control of how long, how many episodes they could have done this, mm-hmm. they definitely could have done it in eight. Uh, we had to get... I, I think they just relied a lot on fan service this time around. Not necessarily with the John Kreese stuff, because it was nice. It was nice to see him get a... Yeah, get like a backstory to him. Like, I yeah, just wanted to see what his personality well, was. Yeah, to understand why he's this, like, uh, emotionless army guy that... That just finds no mercy. Like, what made you turn the way you did? So that was... That, that's something I felt like they had to do regardless. Um, and then, then we got the scenes of, of uh, Daniel Daniel going to Japan and stuff. Which is fine. It was nice because we just got more of Miyagi's uh, influence on, on Daniel. And, and, and it was nice to see him kind of reconnect with his old flame out there. And so... For them to kind of bring Elizabeth ahead, they literally shoot her in there. Uh, within the last episodes. But that was nice. It was cool because we do get to see Johnny and her and her relationship that we got to see more for their their their, uh, their connection before we see Daniel get into the picture. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see that as adults kind of handle it the way to do because who doesn't, you know, I, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So it, it's something to I know I'm sure people can relate to it if they if they go and re- I, I think a lot of people when they say they go off to college and they come back and they, especially for the holidays and they kind of try to reconnect with some old friends and maybe they connected with old flames too. So we kind of see that, I mean, well into their middle life or middle age. So it, it is interesting to see that, mm-hmm. but this season definitely played up a lot of more fan service, which is okay. But I, I just have a really big negative bias when it comes to shows doing that because that's one of the reasons why I stay away from reboots or stuff like that. But that like exactly to me, reason. but to me that Cobra Kai is one of those reboots that does work. It it does. Yeah, yeah I think it does. It does. But it does. like I said, remember what I said before at the beginning of the season where we were like we were watching that I like for the fact that the focus was more on the kids. Well yeah, they have to. They have to. Because honestly they're they're the ones who are carrying the show now because it's like, yeah, you got Danny Rose and John Lawrence and John Creese, you know, the big three now. You know, it's their influence on the actions that these kids do. And, of course, you know, the whole thing, too, was the tournament was being canceled. And, of course, they had, you know, Daniel, Lauren, and Johnny were trying their best to try to plead, Anthony McCree, try to plead their case mm-hmm. to bring the tournament back. And, of course, they were reluctant. Then it took up to Sam and Miguel to step in and say, hey, we need this tournament. We need to find to show our demonstration to find, you know, what Karai is supposed to show us. Yeah. And, you know, Miguel explained, you know, well, he's a champion, like, how he had a fight from, how he had a, how Johnny, you know, helped him out through his injury. Thanks to crying, you know, endurance and all that stuff. But, yeah, when, you know, with Daniel Tolkien, I was a good scene, like, you know, you know, you can be there, she's there, and, um, of course, uh, Josen was there as well. Seeing the enemy, it was funny, he was always like a, like, of course, you know, think, oh, this guy never got over him, and all of a sudden... Uh, they got some closure as well, 
And he got to show him another side, I guess, the other side of the, the Miyagi-Do ways. Uh-huh. Like, the another version of how to do the nerve thing. It was kind of cool how the pressure points, basically, how to take your opponent down using, like, the nerves. That That's literally Jedi and the Sith. The pressure points? No, yeah, no, the way they broke that down. The way the same teacher, same masters, different different uh, lineage of uh, deviation for technique. It's, oh, it's okay. literally the Jedi and the Sith. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of it was taken from that. But yeah, it was cool that we saw uh, their grudges kind of pushed aside, and it was they. You know, they shared a, a link between. Uh, Miyagi, Miyagi's and Sato teachings and Sato. So because they were both students under. Well, they're they're relatives. That, that that's his uncle. Miyagi's his uncle. No, Miyagi wasn't his uncle. He, like no, his uncle was Sato, who was a student under Miyagi's sensei. Because they were Miyagi, like oh, yeah, because yeah, right. they were they were trained the same school basically. Uh, but at the same time, Shosen has high regard Miyagi. Even though he's high regard his uncle. But, you know, like I said, he's still, you know, pissed off that Daniel beat him. But I like for the fact that he got that closure. He's like, did the Hong Kong thing. It was kind of funny. But I like for the fact he's also decided, you know, let me show Daniel all these new moves, you know. To teach him also, here's something that you never got, that Miyagi never showed you because he felt that you probably wouldn't be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. It was just a different side to the Miyagi deal karate style. Um, and I like for the fact that, you know, yeah, and again with the alley reunion, because you got to see more to that story. You know, they're reminiscing, but as you can see, it gives you an idea the relationship that Allie and Johnny had when they were first dating before Daniel came into the picture. And I like for the fact that all of a sudden, you, you were saying when we were watching him, so, hey, Daniel, where's your wife? Where's your wife? When's she coming back? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was weird that they But when were... you see Amanda coming, like, make her appearance on there, it's like, finally, Amanda comes out. But I like for the fact that she was happy with it because she got to see, hear a side that Daniel Harley says. Because I won't be surprised that Daniel never told her about this stuff in high school because she, she never heard like the, the third story because like she said you heard Johnny's version you heard Daniel's version now here's the version from my perspective because it's not every day you're going to run into an old high school flame and especially it will even while into college but even then it's just kind of like that's just shit you don't really bring up to your wife because you're already married mm-hmm. so that was nice to see that dynamic play out um because they're at least able to get closure on that on that end but um it was it was interesting to see them kind of play that that part uh but it's also something that i think took a, a good bit of the episode and they kind of saved the the ending to to where that we're gonna see the third season or the fourth season lead into, to the tournament and that's just them competing at the tournament uh which should have been i i i wish they could have done that for the third but i kind of i feel like uh whatever they're gonna drag this out throughout the whole the fourth season's probably gonna be shorter because there's only so much you can do with that tournament. Like they, they did a lot of preparation just to get to that point. But now with Robbie being now, yeah, Cobra that's it. Cobra Kai now. It's mm-hmm. like that's one thing too now, with Robbie. Because now, I mean, now it's like something that we're finally going to see is Johnny and Daniel finally working together, putting aside the differences, finally working together. And then, like I said, going to the fourth season. My expectation for season is the build up for the tournament because mm-hmm. the tournament's like in the summer, isn't it? Yeah, but that's the thing. Because they were still, like, what, technically in the winter time or something? Because you said it was during Christmas, so they're technically mm-hmm. still in the winter in Cali. So that if that tournament's still in the summer, so you still got months until to that tournament. So it'll be a build-up. And then plus two, it kind of leads to John Kreese calling a favor. And it, and it kind of what leads going back to those flashbacks when he was served in Vietnam. Of course, you get to see Anthony Michael Hall there, mm-hmm. where Anthony Michael Hall got... You could tell that Michael Hall's character... 
That's where Jacques got a little bit of the no mercy stuff from him. Well, yeah, he he was training him to be a special ops, uh, a special ops troop, and, and they he find... was his leader in rank. So it makes it made sense that he was going to take those type because he wanted to be a strong type. And so then he finds out that he doesn't typical. find out till later that his girlfriend died in an accident, yeah. and his his, his superior officer didn't tell him. Like his remaining officer didn't tell him. Yeah, but that's that's just because he didn't want John Kreese to be like soft and lose focus. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. That's what I'm saying. Like that. The, the, Star original, Wars. They been, like, <laughs> Star- it was all just Star Wars. It was the same shit. He didn't want them to have any attachments, any distractions. Same thing with Jedi. They can't. They can't show feelings of attachment and stuff because it leads to frustration and anger, which leads to sorrow, which leads to a dark past and towards the dark side, the good side. But it's not we, the good. Here we are. Like I got. But that's the, that's my problem with this shit is that they keep doing reboots and then I think this show might fall as popular as it is. As it is and as broad as it can be, I, I don't. That's where I think the fourth season is going to suffer because they can only build the tournament so much. Mm-hmm. They've already got the conflict built up from this, the, which was which they were able to wrap this up in four. You know, towards the last four episodes, they're able to build the conflict between all three dojos. Mm-hmm. Um, the anger towards uh, John Kreese and, and his teachings, and then them trying to get revenge. Right. So, even between the students, we see them all join together against Cobra Kai, but then. You can only build that even further until the tournament where we're going to see a lot more of that playing out, but you can only do that for so long. So yeah, it's cool that they're going to bring in Crease's uh, relationship with the former army buddy that he owes uh, his life to, or they that army buddy owes Crease's life to. So yeah, that's going to be interesting to see, but... I think that's just what's going to mess up everything too because mm-hmm. I think that now they've, wrote, they've written to themselves to an interesting but it could also be a clunky time like time frame and, and story arc because yeah, you also can focus too, on a tournament yeah. and all that but that can't be the main there's got to be underlying shit so we're going to see more romance stuff that's yeah because cool. now with Johnny and Miguel's mom what's that going to go on yeah like, and that's then between be. the students and their, and their thing like it's 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 fine there's going to be a lot of those because it is for somewhat trying to reach different demographics mm-hmm. but at the same time you can't. I think if the more and more they do that, the more and more it's going to cloud the main story arc, and that's that's the tournament. That's exactly what it was going to lead up to. So uh, it's like it's like dabble like anime arc. too. It's like you know, it's like anime. Whenever an anime has like almost like a tournament arc or some kind of t- competition, it's the build up. It's like all this all this stuff going towards tournament, like Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball, like the manga, and also Dragon Ball Z, the manga as well. Well, it's Dragon Ball to get in Japan, but the anime itself. Built so much when they had those like um, Tekachi Budokai tournaments, you know, Battle Under the Heavens, which is translated to, and they have all the build-ups for the matches, like who's gonna fight suit. So, like I said, it's all that build-up, all that stuff that's going together, all the pieces getting coming together. But like I said, we'll see how that's gonna happen. Chances are, they probably won't start filming until later this year, and probably won't see it till next year. Who knows? Maybe they'll have it by winter. We don't know yet. Um, but definitely, guys, check out Cobra Kai. Season 3, if you haven't caught up yet, and like I said, you know, also watch the Cry Kid films as well. Just to give you guys, you want to get more and more into this. Like, if you haven't shown your kids the Cry Kid films, if you just haven't just watched Cobra Kai, have them watch Cry Kid as well, because you're not, because that way they can understand why, you know? Because this is like an extension of those three films, but like I said, I like for a fact that this season kind of focused more on Cry and John Kreese's story. Because we don't get that much enough in the film, so that's why I did like um, of course, um, with that, 
Um, I was just pulled. I just pulled up right now the Funko Fair, um, because you know what the the New York Toy Fair was canceled because of, you know COVID. We're still in COVID, guys. So a lot of events are either going to be virtual. Um, Funko decided to do like a two week, um, kind of like a Funko Fair. So kind of like a like uh like a full thing you can follow them on their twitter or their website um i'm just pulled up some of the images i went to comicbook.com too to get the rest um they're just showing you know the, some of the products that they got coming out i just pulled up um you go star wars keychains they're gonna have like the little pop star wars keychains you can see from like the original trilogy so you gotta see like <coughs> like vader and stuff sd2 And more characters from the the current trilogy. Look at this. Got that little Baba thing, <laughs> remember? Hmm? That little creature thing that used to that was fixing the the drawing. Oh that uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot his name. It was name but like, look at this one. Look at it. I got you know, Kylo Ren. Sidious again when he came back. Um Ray. Look at her with the two uh lightsabers doing the cross thing. So they got more figures with that. Um and then, of course, the other license they have, I guess it's like a Japanese one called Toki Doki. I guess it's like a Japanese brand. Uh, they're showing their thing. Uh, Beetlejuice. You know, the, from the films and stuff. I look at they're doing like the one, the soda can thing, so it's kind of cool. And I like with Funko is they, go, they do like different things, not just the pop dolls. But when it comes to like getting these licenses, and of course, you see more uh, Dragon Ball Z figures, because number one, when you come to anime, always picture Dragon Ball Z. You see here, you got. The Fusion one, you got Gogeta, and you got um, Young Vegeta, look at this, he's got the tail, he's got a little cape, Prince Vegeta, and then you got Cell, before he's Perfect Cell, so he's regular Cell at that time, you got Goku doing Kamehameha, you got Frieza, one of his forms, his final form, uh, then you Pokemon, I guess with the Silver Bulbasaur, uh, look at this, Pikachu with the, kind of like the attack, angry. angry face, I guess, you got Meow, Psyduck, Sigmore, the Pokemon, um, one cool thing that I saw too was the WWE. They're doing, they're releasing attitude figures. So you got Mankind. They're releasing China for the first time. And when I like this, this one. They're releasing a Rock and Steve Austin from two thousand three, when you know Rock was Hollywood. What's cool is they're gonna come with a little ring set, so it's kind of cool. So you can like station your your Funko Pops on there. So that's kind of cool. I wonder how much that's gonna go for. Um, NBA's uh, Hogwarts Classics. As you see here, they got. Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Robin, when he had the different color hair, Alan, Alan Iverson. Hey, there you go, you boy, Scottie Pippen. So, like I said, they don't want you just like pop culture. They do sports as well. As you can see, they got Major League Baseball as well. Um, they got them as well. Um, of course, Five Nights and Freddy's because they're one of the main rights to them. But I guess these are like, looks like the way they make them, I think they're like candy style. Five Nights and Freddy's animatronics. Look how they look, dude. Look at this. It's like They make them look like ice cream sundaes or something. That's fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, Chica, Bonnie, and Freddy. I guess this is a Bat Marvel Battle World. Mystery of the Thanos is a collectible adventure game that comes with a little doll thing. It's probably like a tabletop type of thing, and it comes with. And of course, you got the Marvel Lucha Libre edition. As you can oh, see yeah, here. I've seen those at Target. They actually look kind of cool. You got Spider Man, Wolverine, Hulk, Iron Man. It's like Deadpool, I think it looks like. Um, Deadpool, you got Captain Marvel and Venom. Um, of course, Fast and Furious 9. So Fast and Furious is finally getting a 
Funko Pops, you can see here. I think this is uh, Dom and John Cena, basically, because John Cena is going to make an appearance now as, I guess, he's Dom's brother or something. Mm -hmm. I guess. I guess he's the other brother. They're just going to continue to make him. And this is the one thing, you know, Pico, we I was talking to you in the car. We were out when I got back and like that. I saw that, like, I was on the phone. And I look at this. Cool Runnings. Yeah, that's going to so be interesting. The Cool Runnings pop dolls. So that's interesting. The, the concept. These are all concepts because it, it could change from the final thing. And then I think I want on comic.comics they got more of the of the thing. Let's see if I can go on their main site and see if they got more. Because it's like things It's like the first week because they were doing it for two weeks. Let me pull up more here. There we go. Uh, Shaw's featured here though. Coming soon. <coughs> you know what to say here? Well, let's see. I can pull it up from the comicbook.com. It's under their gear article. Here we go. Uh, they got Bewitch apparently. The show Bewitch. Um, Gabriel Cannon gets a second wave of Uncle Pops. Uh, GI Joe. GI Joe. Getting Funko Pops. Um, the Goonies, Never Say Die. They're getting Funko Pops this year. Uh, the Good Mummy is this year. They put Narco. The Good Mummy movies. <laughs> Get uh, Pop Figures. Um, Bam Stroker's Dracula gets away with Funko Pops as well. Here we go. Here's where they get all the Funko Basics. Here we go. Oh, shit. There's already an article on why the WWE Network failed. Yeah, we made an article there. Yeah, it... I'm going to read it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, WWE.org kind of making a partnership with Peacock. Uh, with Peacock's streaming service taking off within this year, it's it's something to where they're going to have to build their catalog up, not just their own shows, so it makes so they can remain competitive in the streaming the streaming uh, world. I think now, too, with, yeah, if you go before you get to the article, I do want to mention, because now, if you haven't seen NBC Sports Network, doesn't mean the comp, the regular regional one's going to be shut down. It's the main channel is going to get shut down. Um, NBC Universal did announce that at the end of this year, um, they are shutting down NBC Sports Network. So, they're like, hockey, made Premier League, are possibly, are possibly moving to USA Network and possibly Peacock. Because mm -hmm. I think that's what they're starting to stream some of the Premier League games. Uh, Peacock as well, like did that with Manchester United and Liverpool, so that's why it is with Peacock having the office and now with sports, in their thing now they're becoming like the go-to streaming platform and now, now any WWE to the mix kind of like builds up their catalog. Right. Um, okay, so I pulled up this article from WhatCulture.com. Okay, they they do cover they cover wrestling pretty well. Yeah, they cover a lot of pop culture shit you can think of. Uh, yeah, music, TV, sports, comics. Uh, but their wrestling culture is kind of like they. Yeah, they do they do a lot of WWE because it's a UK site and and they do have a good market over there for for WWE. Um, so this article is written by Michael Sidgwick. Sidgwick. Mm -hmm. So he kind of starts it off by. Um, He's like, even the most delusioned hardcore fan, that description you might have guessed, covers your writer. Couldn't have been pissed and moaned about the WWE Network. From Pike's point to content, it was wonderful. Yes, the search function was goosed for the longest time. Oh, yeah. Uh, your writer once typed in Rock Austin with the view to just watching that seminal WrestleMania uh, X7 clash, but the service yielded an NXT match between the Rockstar Shinsuke Nakamura Shinsuke. and Austin uh, Aries. But if anything, that was a funny quirk that brought into focus just how good we all had it when it, 
so you had to fast forward for a few minutes just to watch one of the greatest wrestling matches ever for the lowest ever price for which it was offered. So you couldn't easily skip around the best four horsemen moments. You can instead watch all of it. So he's basically just mentioning, you know, a lot of good things you can catch with WWE Network if you've been following wrestling for uh, for several years. So you get to see some things. So for um, he put this in, put this in, in uh, British pounds for nine ninety nine a month. In addition to every new and historic WWE pay per view, in addition to the entirety of the Monday Night Wars, and in addition to every historic WCW and ACW pay per view, for this price tag, this price point. Of 999 euros or British pounds. It was cheaper for the Yanks. You could relive the golden age of territory wrestling without WWE's revisionist lens. Plot on the story with vast. Uh, he's trying to make a lame joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the budding historian and modern consumer alike, the WWE never provided the ultimate fan experience. But how was it, how did it fail? Uh, let's see. So if moving along the article, he goes into why it essentially failed. So in reductive and broad dollars and cents analysis. The network failed to adequately replace the traditional pay-per-view model as a revenue stream. Physical media was already dead as a market, but as evidenced by several UFC and boxing mega fights, and indeed uh, all elite wrestling's not in considerable not in considerable success, pay-per-view was not necessarily dead. WWE just badly overestimated the potential pull of the new streaming platform, and it did not generate the amount of subscribers needed to make the venture as profitable as they they potentially projected it to be. It was a failure, but it wasn't a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. The exorbitant uh, setup costs were covered well enough, and in the rights-free era, there's no such thing as a disaster, which is illustrated by every last episode of Monday Night Raw. But it did fail, and objective proof of that failure lies in the sale to NBC Peacock. WWE anticipated that in January's 20, 2014 presentation, uh, which is what seven almost seven years ago yeah like i said that's how long uh, that was generating around. between two to three million domestic subscribers they never really scraped the bottom of the projection globally so i'm sure he invested a lot of money into getting the streaming platform up and running and operational throughout the seven years almost seven years that has been around um the old dtc model negatively impacted the content there was no longer an incentive for wwe to produce must-see matches on a monthly basis and write compelling stories around these attractions and that is a generous take, uh, the writer states. It suggests that WWE is capable. They're just not willing to, in reality. Uh, they fucked themselves over with both barrels by drawing out uninspired and often inexplicable programs across each card. Uh, Elimination Chamber 2014 wasn't some flashpoint moment. Uh, WWE was deep in the muck of this rivalry must continue kind of era that they would project in matches. As illustrated by the endless circles walked by Triple H, Randy Orton, and John Cena in the monopolized 2000s, but virtually every major program that the WWE presented followed this same deadening formula, only they exasperated it. So I guess he's referring to just the fact that they keep using these three main guys and they're still relevant to this day because uh, they don't want to... And, and as I go to the next page, it's, it's literally a picture of Brock Lesnar carrying it. <laughs> So he's saying he carries on and he continues with um, a first match that was built via contrived script segment on TV. The first pay-per-view match ends via fuckery, if not tossed off a TV, thereby muddying journey with destination and ruining core dramatic principles of an anticipation and peak of purpose. Second match ends in fuckery. Third match is decisive, and the cycle continues. WWE execs talked up this revolution of content and its direct, cheap, super-served delivery without ever addressing the content itself. So, as the network failed to ignite, as expected, 
WWE tinkered with its programming to better suit this model, but no, they didn't really improve it. They just, despite thousands upon thousands of fans, when they had the heart anyway, vocally guiding them towards this content. In order to officially inflate its success, the running length of pay-per-views were extended. 2018 represented this part of the experiment. Uh, he states here that WrestleMania 34 ran for approximately 5 hours, 3 minutes, and 35 seconds. And that doesn't even include the 2-hour kickoff portion. The main card for Money in the Bank ran for 4 hours, 11 minutes, and 41 seconds. And that figure, again, doesn't even include the kickoff shows. The Money in the Bank pay-per-view, a rare modern success in the WWE, is affectionately referred to as the fifth of the big four traditional events, but it's still a B-level attraction. Uh, WWE demanded an outrageous amount for your time to consume it, and the verb took on a rather suboptimal connotation. Uh, WWE events felt like something to get through almost as a requirement uh, as being a fan or was asked to become a completist watching this content. So if that reads as a subjective take, go back and watch virtually every main event from that particular era leading up to now. So I'm assuming he's talking about like 2014 and up to now. No, dude, it's it, it's been like it's like with them like promoting the network and stuff. It's like it like it's. Well, I mean, he's not done. He's not done. He's still no, writing. He's it? still going. Yeah. He's still going. Um, oh god. It's like. It didn't matter what the match was anticipated for but not before the night itself or know how the well the great workers involved themselves in struggling through a basic build. So many of them, enough for, for this trend to become definitive, were received or barely received with the damning and perhaps involuntarily silent. Um, those fans are full. Thank you. Oh, um, sorry, dude. I ordered food. No, you're good. Uh, uh, it's cool. Okay, there's a couple of little chunks here. But they were fed this ridiculous literal super si- servings of minutes streamed because of metric with which to sell a failing model as something less than a failure to shareholders. Because this is what this is what he's essentially showing to the shareholders are these metrics, the, the analytics of the data that they, they get from people subscribing to this platform. Um, the strategy aligned with assorted covert messaging such as super serving. They met, sure, the base isn't growing, but they're a replica belt mark, so we'll watch anything. So he's basically saying that we're we're probably going to lack in the field of getting new subscribers and new fans into uh, in, into watching wrestling. But hey, we could still rely on the old fan favorites of the years past of the WWE, uh, I want to say the WWF time and what it once was. So yeah. um, it, it just shows that, let's see, there were... It sure the base doesn't work. Was don't watch anything, but that didn't even work for them. Network subscriptions continue to decline, such as the TV ratings as they continue to decline. The importance of TV as a revenue stream here can't go unmentioned. Incidentally, WWE constantly recycles or gives away big matches after or even ahead of their Sunday events. The upshot was that beyond the returning part-time megastar of your little distinguished television or pay-per-view in terms of personnel and even match length. Those three hours of raw sure as, sure as hell didn't fill themselves, which begs the question, what's the incentive to pay even a bargain fee? It's not if the narrative even, events even really mean anything either. The 50-50 booking, frivolous comedic takes, and the crippling notion that a rematch could ever happen or just nothing was do or die in WWE. From the match result to even a digital startup project costing hundreds of millions of dollars, all matters much as they did it. All this added up. Like it was kind of, it was kind of seen 
and project it to what it could be. Um, let's see. I mean, I he's bringing up valid points because I'm not gonna disagree. The product is like, like, um, like it's it's a, compared to what like what um Undertaker was saying because Mark Halley he was on Joe Rogan last week and he talked about they asked him when Joe Rogan asked him, "Do you watch the product now?" He's like, he doesn't watch as much as he was in the past because you know because he came from that like t- Mark Halley came from the Undertaker. He came from that era where it was the era of big men. That everyone was fighting, competing for that top spot. Nowadays, it's different because now it's like it's up to the writers if they're going to use you or not. And now it's still up to Vince McMahon. He's still, to me, it's like you hire all these writers, you put a job, you put a job posting for a new head writer, but at the same time, you're, Vince is still calling a shot. He still has that delusional mind, the whole era of big man. But it's like you got all these potentials, you got all these young stars, all these young kids are coming up through NXT. Who are getting good pushes in NXT, and they're afraid to go to the main roster because they're afraid of what Vince McMahon is going to do to their character. And we've seen some failures in the past where Tyler Breeze, who spent a lot on NXT, he was one of the gold goats in NXT, finally gets called up in in the main roster. Vince didn't know what to do with him at that some point. To the point he teamed them with Fandango, and they became a popular tag team. Fans were going crazy for him. But he felt he didn't want to push them to be tag team champions. So, they ended up going back to NXT. And look what happened. They got the push that they were supposed to get. And they became NXT champions. Because that's because what Triple H and Shawn Michaels do in Florida. How they run NXT is like watching the old Attitude Era. Which is a storyline that's more realistic. More like personal. It's straight out wrestling. As opposed to watching it on the main. Like main Raw and SmackDown. I mean, yeah, they're trying to get a dump, but at the same time, it's still PG. Like Drew McIntyre said, it's still PG. You can only, you can still push the envelope that you can't, but at the same time, it's a still tire storylines. It's like you got these young superstars. Why are you not using them? Why are you not pushing them? And don't get me wrong, I love R-Truth because R-Truth to me is one of the veterans. I know Vince Man loves him a lot, and he's helping this brand, especially with that 24-7 belt. He's helping it with com- comedic relief, but at the same time, he's trying to help these young kids out. Yeah, this is literally, he, he kind of talks about that. Um, he mentions that, uh, we'll see right here. So, WWE, to many fans who switched off in the recent years, uh, Triple H called him Mark, but it's very much plural. And it becomes repetitive. I'm assuming he's talking about the show. So, it becomes yeah. repetitive as it was drawn out as it was ultimately meaningless. Long-term storytelling executed by overused stars used to draw punters. Content, however, draws the billions. So a great deal of wrestling fans never could really reconcile this warped manner by which the industry has evolved into and has been failing upwards creatively. Just as well for WWE that they just they don't matter, at least in the medium term. But analysts are scrambling to work out just what this is, what's in this for Peacock. Some speculate that an outright purchase of WWE might be the end goal, with the network as an absorbed body blow in the route to victory. Because the fans at large weren't even moved by this apparent billion-dollar property. No, it was fine because I was watching Raw last night. Uh, like not even the last like thirty minutes of the show, they finally mentioned that Dodie never was going to Peacock. Well, yeah, they're it, not going to say it until they get the show's over. Like, I, if they did that, then people probably would have turned off. Like, but this was like breaking. Like, see, when it comes to professional wrestling, it's kind of hard now not to hide stuff because now with the internet, you got their insiders. But I like their point. This guy, I definitely agree with the Prague has gone soft. Like, take, like Mark Calloway, like Taker said. 
the product has gone soft. Where these young kids, oh god, yeah, he goes in, he goes in on like the actual content that the network has. He he, uh, he's like, even if, even if uh, with this kind of stream pay per views weren't enough to claw back the lapsed fans, uh, the original content that was on the on the on the platform was inessential to even the hardcores, the fans. The fluff wasn't even irreverent enough to become beloved in cult circles. Story time was pointless. Animated repurposed shoot interviews. Fodder, which is another word for shite, <laughs> uh, swerved an attempt at a prank show was a weird continuation of the idea that WWE was a legitimate entertainment anybody might like. Um, Legends House plays several old-timey carnies with various issue, issues into a house, and unsurprisingly, the expected uh, hoviality mutated into unsettling darkness. And did anybody really give a shit about the lore of Corey Graves' tattoos? I don't know what that is. Um, even the well-produced documentaries... Uh, documentaries uh, put together to further draw in the hardcore fans just didn't really work um, and this is the last part so this leave, he's like these were only perversely interesting uh, Kevin Owens I guess is a wrestler he asked Vince McMahon if he liked his Wrestlemania 33 match Vince shook his, his head saying no seething in silent fury he's playing a gif of it too well, yeah, that was in the Chronicle Kevin Owens documentary. Ricochet insisted between the footage of his own decline that he was still happy to be there. In Liv Morgan, barely and erratically used, there wasn't even a subject to cover. Dean Ambrose's Chronicle portrayed a man played by doubts over who he wanted to be and becomes fascinating in retrospect, looking at his rebirth as John Moxley. The man is mulling over his decision to leave on a documentary covering his big comeback into the WWE. In effect... Recorded its own decline and sold it inexplicably as something to promote for $9.99 in, in pounds. So, this original content, in quotations, was meant to supplement and deepen our connection with WWE stars, but it just made you wonder why did you even bother in the end. WWE exists now as this bloated and homogenized content factory coveted by streaming services under a blooming Walmart-adjacent model of which volume trumps the actual art. The vast library and the streaming framework were made for one another, and as President and Chief Revenue Officer Nick Khan so astutely surmised, the network failed because the content did. The end. Except it doesn't work like that anymore. Increasingly, it's hard to figure out how this even is, how this ends at all. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, when you had told me earlier, I just don't, I don't understand. I personally don't understand. I mean, they are failing, so it makes sense for them to try to do some sort of partnership, and maybe NBC is going to end up buying that, and that way they can have some sort of piece of the pie when they can still network. But at the end of the day, I mean, I understand. Maybe this is kind of what we are going to see. I mean, what you are going to see is, is maybe maybe it's going to be a kind of the kick in the ass of uh, this McMahon guy needs to fucking change up the routine and maybe just not, and maybe take a step back and, and, and let the let the let the, let the other people take it over because he just sounds like an out of touch guy who's only he's still living in the in the past successful days in the nineties and just doesn't see it holding. I mean, yeah, sure, like you can keep your the younger demographic going, but who's paying that money? Yeah, kids aren't paying that. No, the the adults who are fans probably in the past are paying that. That's why. That's what drove Vince McMahon because they tried it in the late, in like the eighties or nineties. It was a family, but it wasn't working. That's why during the Monday Night Wars, you saw in the documentary, which is a great documentary, 
how WWE ha- like attacked that young adult demographic because that's what they had to. They had to. They had to push the envelope because of that. And at the same time, then they say, "Oh, we're gonna go back to PG." So it's like it didn't. It doesn't work now. It's not working then. But yeah, the kids are still watching WWE. I can understand trying to be as much kid friendly as you can, but at the same time, you can only do so much with it. But at the same time, that's what I said. Like you, you bring it up because like the only the people that are buying into WWE is the adults, not the kids. Because let's be honest, the here. thing that's helping right now is merchandise. That's the only thing that's yeah. helping them out as well. But let's be honest here, main, wrestling isn't mainstream anymore. It was in the nineties. It, it's not anymore. It hasn't been for a long time. So this is a niche thing, just like uh, reality shows are niche. Like they're everywhere, but it's still niche. That's why I like how we mentioned that. Just because you have a lot of content doesn't mean it's gonna. It's only gonna mess up the, the 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 art of the art of engagement and and what brought people there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And yeah, wrestling was a big thing in the '90s. It was. I mean, celebrities were there all the fucking time. So they kind of and it had its mainstream push in the media. But now it's it's just a niche thing. So everyone knows if when you're building business, businesses, especially in entertainment, you gotta market to the youth. It's inevitable. Apps are built around like this in the same way. On Netflix, you don't even have to go that far. Most of the content you see that's going to be pushed in your front or your face are going to reach into that mid, that mid-teen to early twenty to twenty-five-year-old demographic, mm-hmm. and then you're going to get your mix of nostalgia. And it just seems that this this guy is literally just running his shit to the ground, and creatively, right? Creatively, so. Creatively, and that's hey, that's bad because that's how you make your money. It's not because you have more avenues of of dumping your back catalog. And then what kind of hurt too was like to the point where now it's like all of a sudden it's like that's why I, it was cool seeing like the the talent themselves having other means to entertain yeah. outside of wrestling. You know they had their Twitch channels, they had the cameos, and all of a sudden Vince is like, no, because you, I help create your character. Now he wants a piece of that pie, and that's what happened with the whole Twitch thing, where a lot of wrestlers had to sign an agreement with WWE that WWE gets a certain share of their content. Yeah, that's not which kind of sucks. That's why you know you lost talent based on that. Like AJ Styles had to stop, and he was streaming all the time. And I like, I love watching AJ Styles streaming on Twitch because he's a gamer. He's built his own gaming thing in his in his house, and when he does like the Q and As and stuff, he talks about his like. I was watching him do like a Q and A on Twitch. And they ask him, what's your favorite games? He says, well, Mario Bros. 3 is one of his favorite games. So it's like, how you connect to your fans. It's like Chugs, like Adam Cole. You know, he does it. Like, the only thing that I'm surprised that I guess Vince has a good regard for Austin Creed. I'm like, he's still putting out content from up, down, down to the point now he's got a shot. And he's become, he's be, I, he's one of those personalities, which I think what happened was when Austin Creed introduces, he created his up, up, down, down channel, the video game channel with wrestlers in mind. I think Vince at the time was like, at first, you know, he wasn't sure about it, but it, because he was afraid because the whole, you know, kayfabe is gone. You got to think about that now. No, it's no longer kayfabe. People know that these guys are play for trained characters or exaggerations of, the, of themselves. But at the same time, they can find them relaxing. Well, them. social media is a thing. And social media. So now with Up, Up, Down, Down, what kind of worked was you got to see, you know, a side that you never see on TV. You see them having fun, doing these, playing these games. Say, hey, they could, they got things to do besides wrestling. Their, their minds are not focused on just wrestling. They like playing video games. They like having fun. They like playing games. You know, they show like another side to them, and it worked. That model works. And how many subscribers he has to the point that they had a campaign. He put a campaign in Creed for G Four, and it worked. And now with G Four coming back later this year, who knows when? Like they're going to be a streaming channel. 
he's gonna be one of the hosts of the shows. I'm and like I said, right now I'm watching like I enjoy watching Uno Wednesdays, which it's Austin Creed, Adam McCall, Tyler Breeze, and Cesaro doing Uno. And they've been doing it since the pandemic started last year, and they've been doing it every Wednesday for a year. Yeah, it's like poker night. Which is cool, but it's Uno. It's funny. And it's like, in another way, the push the kind of, because it kind of helps them out as well. Get another revenue, get another, you know, well, yeah, outlet, because, creativity. But it's like, Vince is like, it holds down that creative. It's like, if you don't want to be creative in the ring for their characters, that's what they had to go to. He's a mob boss. Yeah. He's, he's running it like he's a mob boss. He doesn't want them to disrespect the, the made up family that he's created around his wrestlers, but he's still a boss. And, and frankly, he just is, doesn't seem like someone who wants. He wants to prevent them from making their own uh, separate revenues of, st- of uh, income. And these are guys who do have to consider the fact that they need to have side stuff. Everyone needs to have a side hustle these days. It's, it's impossible not to. And um, frankly, these guys can only wrestle for so long because they are athletes who fuck up their bodies. And you can only do that for so long. Yeah, your body can only and take out so much punishment. Yeah, yeah, and with the platform they're given... With the WWE, within them being you know a big company for entertainment, they're using their their platform wisely by doing these things and to show their personality. Like I give them props on that. Frankly, it's I find I like I I I, I find that fascinating that these guys are able to build that because at the end of the day, the difference between celebrities building these things, I we see this all the time, especially in the podcasting world. To where celebrities already have this. Humongous, humongous boost mm-hmm. of, of as far as listening goes and, and fans because they have already been known for something else. So their their transition into podcasting world or into YouTube channels are very much fluffed by these mainstream networks. Mm-hmm. So they do have a they have a different pedestal or platform to launch off of. I'm not necessarily saying that the content is still decent enough to garner more organic organic um, uh, we'll, we'll say organic views or listening or downloads yeah so and, and look I'm not trying to shoot that down I, I, I respect it. it's just part of the game I respect that that works in all facets of of, of entertainment media or art they just have a better push but at the same time it doesn't it doesn't erase the fact that just because you have plenty of content doesn't mean you're going. You're you're still building an audience because at the end of the day, uh, like I said earlier, your demographic are, are literally just children and people who have already been in the niche for mm-hmm. a while now. And you're and you can only and I feel like it's so much harder to hold on to those niche people who've been following you for years as compared to only paying towards the youth. And look, the youth is always going to be there, but they're not going to like the same shit anymore. So that's where you fuck up by losing that the what he mentioned, like the hardcore the hardcore fans, the ones that are gonna stick to you. Just like with uh, music, right? Not every album's gonna be good. Yeah. But if you like the old stuff, just listen to the old albums. It doesn't mean you stop like you you can stop supporting an artist whenever you want, but at the end of the day you can't if you only want the artist to make a one type of music from their first album you're not letting that artist be organic or fluid within their own craft. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Art, mm-hmm. the artists make things that they're influenced by. Nothing's original in this world. It's just, it's just things meshed together to suit their personality and whatever story they're trying to tell. So, in, in the same thing with wrestling, right? You mentioned before, the PG shit. That wasn't working. Even in that, even in the 90s, like, that, everything, it was a, a transitional period where we could still get away with things that 
some people now deem offensive. Yeah, yeah, because now I've been watching like the attitude era right now. You saw I've been watching it for a while. It's like, yeah, stuff like that now. Then back then, I don't think it was. It's not going to go over now. And that's what's sad about it because yeah. it, it's. A, but that's that's okay. So that's what the problem is with its own network is that. Look, you're you're gonna see people who are gonna revisit shit. I'm not one who likes to do that much. Like I'll watch a movie once in a while, but the mo- I really gotta like the movie to really enjoy it a second time. Otherwise, yeah. it's kind of just out of sight, out of mind after that. Like yeah, I've seen it. It was, it was cool. So like, for people to go back and and, and try to to watch uh, these old old um, old shows from the '90s, like especially wrestling programs, and, and sure the documentaries are there to provide more introspection into maybe some guys you you grew up a liking to. But at the end of the day, content is going to always be king, and you always got to keep it fresh and innovative. And I think the worst problem, I guess, as somebody who is not really, I haven't watched, I haven't really been into into wrestling since all that shit ended in the '90s. So. Honestly, it, it's it's as somebody who's just looking from the outside, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 worse. It's its own demise is going to be because of uh, Vince McMahon and not because of the people who are working hard to just do their best to to do something. I guess they feel passionate about. It's going to be, but Vince McMahon's going to be its own demise, just like maybe his father was, and maybe he viewed it that way with his father when he owned it. He probably viewed it as like, oh, the old man doesn't know what he's talking about, and look what happened. Now the old he man put, like Vince pretty much. If you don't realize, Vince like pretty much got partners to buy out Vince, buy out his dad out. See, that's fucking slimy, dude. That's freaking crazy. And remember, CM Punk said it best. If you remember, let me. If you, I got, I'll pull up CM Punk's pipe bomb from 2011 because think about it, it brings a lot of points. Because think about it, that was a, that was a that CM Punk's pipe bomb in 2011 was to the point where the writers just told. him, Here's my phone. Say what you feel like. Say what you feel like. Come off your chest. We're not gonna. That's all they told him. Here's your microphone. Use it. Here's like use it. Write your frustrations, and let me pull it up. What he said, because some of the points that he did. Because honestly, after Austin, like after Steve Austin retired, I don't know. The ruthless aggression era was okay, but I I kind of fell out of it. After Austin retired, all three, I watched some of the wrestling then, but I fell out of it. So nothing drew me back until until CM Punk came out of the scene because this kid, this guy, who went up through the Indies, went through Ring of Honor, pretty much was a wrestling fan growing up. But who people looked at him saying because technically wrestling was still like the land of Big Ben. And this is himself. He probably never saw Punk as a champion, but the reason why he made Punk champion was to appease the masses. Because the property that Punk had so in the one time he listened to the market, the one time which honestly clinging on to, which he, it seems like he's just doing the same shit again, just clinging on to old things that he feels like it's only going to hit maybe the five percent of the fanhood that they have, and that in that certain demographic. Like, I just don't. I, I God, I understand. I I'm going to read this, so guys. Much. If you want to hear, this is straight. This is from Genius.com. I'm going to read. Someone actually did like a whole script of it. Uh, but this is the, this is called the Python. It's, it's considered one of the promos because this made promos by Ric Flair and all that. But this is the one of the top promos out there. So bear with me. This is all from this is a transcript from it, and this was around the time where Punk was like his contract. He realized his contract was expiring with WWE at the time because he signed a development deal like in two thousand six. Thing 
2005, he signed a development deal because he was still Ring of Honor, but he didn't go into he didn't call get called up to like 2006. Mm-hmm. So think about it, that's five years of frustration not getting pushed a lot and stuff. He had to go through a lot of stuff to finally he got frustrated, and that's when you know the writer said, "Here, here's the microphone. See what you gotta say. Fatten your frustration out." So boy, they had to cut him off because he got too real. This is well, where he's already out the door. I would have done the same thing. If I was pissed. So to my boss. See what you guys take this. You can take this to Great Skull, but I Great Skull. But this will brought me back into wrestling. Was the whole someone can actually go out there and rent their frustrations. That's what kind of he brought me back to wrestling. Um, That's what he said. John Cena, while you lay there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be. I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this because before I leave in three weeks with your WWE Championship, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most of the people in back. I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you do better at than I am. Is that kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're good as Dwayne though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Whoops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company. I have been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split just like I'm splitting. But the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship. I grabbed so many of Vincent K. McMahon's brass rings and it's finally dawned on me that that's just that. They're completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in, day out for almost six years, I have proved to everyone in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even in commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not on the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien. I'm not on Jimmy Fallon. But the fact of the matter is, I should be. And trust me, this isn't how it grapes. But the fact that Dwayne is in the main event at WrestleMania next year, and I'm not, makes me sick. Oh, hey, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just as big as part of me leaving as anyone else. Because you're the ones who are sipping on those collector cups right now. You're the ones that buy those programs that my face is on the cover of. And at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it at my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th. Hell, who knows? Maybe I'll go defending New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Coco Band, how you doing? <laughs> the reason I'm leaving is you people. Because after I'm gone, you're still going to be pouring money to this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel is going to keep turning, and I understand that. This man is going to make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? Because he's around himself with glad-handed, nonsensical douchebag. Yes, man, like John Laurinaitis, who's going to tell him everything he wants to hear. I like to think that maybe this company would be better off after Vince McMahon is dead, but the fact that it's going to be taken over by his idiotic daughter is due for son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. And then he says, let me tell you a personal story, Vince McMahon, right? We do this whole anti-bully campaign, and his microphone gets cut off. But if you bring up from that context, that's what's going on right now. That these that he saw himself at that time. It was 10 years ago. That's almost 10 years ago. It's going to be 10 years in June that he was just another spoken wheel. So when a wrestler leaves WWE or gets asked for the release, that's it. You know, the, the show keeps going on. 
Never spoken a wheel. But you think about but one thing the only thing that kind of contradicts now is Trubich is doing his best staying on the NXT brand and promoting like helping his young talent up. But the bad thing is a lot of these talents don't want to go up to the roster because they're afraid of what Vince is gonna do. Because Vince still has final say in anything creative. That's what to me is like I understand Vince loves his company so much. To me it's like I don't know why he puts these jobs for these writers. For him just to step back and let the writers do what they do. Let them help with these wrestlers. Help them with this talent. You got these young kids. They got potential to go out there and give these matches. You just, gotta, you just gotta let them, you know, create, you know? That's the problem when you have a guy who... He's still, like you said, still stuck in the old era. That and he's not... He doesn't lead with a creative mindset as it is. So it's hard, especially when he has the, the keys to it, to the car, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, when you don't, when you get in the way of your creative dream, this is what brings, this is what fucks up quality stuff that could be, that could potentially be marketable as yeah. a success. You, you stand in the way of your own success. So, and this is what the news goes. So, and it doesn't seem, and you've watched this for a long time now, it doesn't seem like it's changing. So, that's, That's why for me now, I just like, like I hardly watch, I just fought more like on the line. I watch NXT than I do the main shows because NXT is what the main show should be. Where, right, but that's not that's not, that's not what Vince wants. That's it's never going to be that. Sorry, it's like it's like no. the difference between the NBA and the WNBA. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. But moral of the story is, this elite, it's it's a very weird acquisition. I, I see it as an acquisition in much... In terms of financial... Of yeah, it's definitely an acquisition. Um, I don't know how this is going to pad NBC's content because I feel like they have enough to where they could solidly lead and, and take some subscriber uh, numbers, but... Uh, I, yeah, is it, did this guy call it right as it being a failure financially? Yeah. I mean, we saw him continuously make bad investments. Uh, we saw with the XFL again, like part two... But that like, but maybe it could have been good. It's just COVID kind of fucked things. Yeah, up a COVID. Lot, but I, I kind of like the the second coming of XFL. Was like the rules. It was a faster paced game. But yeah, problem is COVID. You're not gonna replace NFL. So you're just not. Like yeah, sure you can fill the niche between the down the downtime, but it's not. It's just not gonna work. This isn't. It's not like it's it's not even remotely close compared to what NCAA does for as far as for the sports fan. But all in all. I God, I I guess it, we'll see how it goes, but I don't know. Out of all the networks to partner with them, I'm very surprised it's Peacock. But hey, maybe if I down the road, maybe he wants to get out of USA and. and but yours is owned by NBC Universal. Yeah, right, sure, but maybe he wants to put it on NBC. But that's the same company. USA is the same company. Right, but it doesn't mean he can't stream it on a local channel. They did before, but sorry, the nice main event. People who have regular cable, so why not? We'll see. No. I mean, I can see you from a the financial. Super Bowl still gets played on the, on regular channels. Like, who is to say that if he wants to pad his his pay per view numbers more, this is the way to do it? It's like I mean, we saw the fucking the UFC fight. Three of the first fights were on ESPN, and, and then you have to pay just for the last one. As much as I don't really. No, not the last that. one. It was like the last five matches because it was the preliminaries. Well, well, there you go. Like you're you're. 
you're cutting off a substantial amount of people who maybe don't have the means to, to spend on, on something that's a, shit, that a couple fights at 70 bucks at the time. Um, so, hey, if it helps, it helps. I just It just doesn't seem like it's going to be a viable move financially, but uh, NBC's, I feel like they're, they're, they're fluid enough to where they can take the hit if it happens, but it just seems like they're here to help Vince out more. Because uh, he's the one who's coming at it with a disadvantage. It, it just seems very desperate, but fuck it. I mean, if it works, it works. I mean, it's not going to get me to watch, so it is what it is. Well, uh, guys, like I said, I, I normally just watch the pay-per-views to see how it goes, to see what the program's going on. And I keep up, like, reading about it and see what the line, the storyline's going. And like I said, it's, like I said, it, I said, Vince needs to step back and let the writers be creative and with the times, you know, keep up with the times because it's like can't do that when you're old, I guess. I mean, yeah, you got the Miz, you got Rey Mysterio, got most of the veterans still there, but at the same time, they can go and go as much as they can. They can go as much as they can because down the line, they only reinvent the wheel so much. Yeah, reinvent the wheel so much until something you know new comes along, but you're still stuck in the old ways. But it's like, who who wants to see these guys wrestle into their fifties? Like, oh. Yeah, we had Ric Flair's and, and the, the Hulk Hogan's and shit, but those, that's, those days are, those days, that's what made it worse, I feel like, too. It just was, it, as believable as it already isn't, like, it's, it's, it's hard to see all these old characters, like, they do fan service in a very weird way. Like, just as weird as these reboots, they, they use fan service, but it's just, it's just very cringy. So... And the whole like spectacle of wrestling is it is people know it's fake, but they gotta make it believable as far as their the story they're trying to tell for each character. But mm-hmm. you can't do that when you have two eight-year-old guys and leotards. Fucking, it's just not. You lose you lose that illusion already. Like it's it's hard to it's hard to keep your 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 your, your fans, yeah. yeah your your most hardcore fanatics. Still emptying out their wallets for stuff that they've already seen for the past twenty years already. It's like yeah. it, it, they're like as much as we love The Office, you can only watch it so much. With and the funny thing is, I was like, I just read that The Office was the most streamed show last year because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. And like I said, right now with Peacock, that's what's going on for them because now they got The Office. And what's cool about Peacock is they have like you know they have the extra stuff they can you couldn't get on Netflix like the behind the scenes stuff and. Extra yeah. bloopers, but it's just kind of cool. But like I said, we'll see how this goes. But in the terms of financial, this is, it, it looks good for them. But now with NBC having the stream rights, now it's like now it gives WWE a better motivation. Hey, they investing in us. Now we got to step up, and now we got to step up now because now they invested in us. They invested in our rights, so technically they can have a say if they want to. Now we got to step up because now our pay-per-views are going to be on this on Peacock as well, besides the traditional pay-per-view. But now we're on Peacock. Now we got to step up because now they're watching us. Which is, I, oof, that's something of it. It's, it's getting invested in within a partnership. It's kind of yeah. You're you're just increasing the the spotlight of of rushing for success. But um, yeah, that that's something that I mean, it's interesting because it, it is streaming platforms kind of going more and more as we see. It's like Paramount like CBS All Access is going to become yeah, we, Paramount Plus in what March? We're seeing Well, yeah, I mean, we're seeing with a lot of 
uh, economists and what a lot of people in the tech world are, are essentially what was kind of the writing of the wall, and, and, and that's we're gonna we're gonna hit a we're gonna hit a, a fork in the road of where we're kind of probably just gonna go back into the old cable model again, just with streaming. So, which is unfortunate because I didn't want that. I purposely didn't want that to happen because we're just gonna see more monopolies being formed again, which isn't good isn't good in the long run because then we can get a lot of watered down content and I yeah. think these days there's just so much content that it's already they're they're all they're all in com competition of getting eyes on their on their platforms and, and the more and more our attention gets divided the more and more it's also ruining the human the human attention span like it's fuck it's making it worse so that's where the emphasis of creating solid, innovative, but relevant content being something that's got to be in, as your forefront in your business model. And the more and more that these CEOs and these out-of-touch executives continue to, to, hook, to claw on to these old, old, old archaic ways of doing things that worked on television not even only more than a decade ago that worked fine but it's just not going to cut it anymore guys like it's it's just not so i just feel like this is just going to fall into the wayside and, and it might just end we'll probably i i'm just going to predict that the network this acquisition is not even going to run into next year i don't see it profitably doing that i just feel like it's going to run its course and then it's probably just going to fall on the wayside and then they're they're just going to go back to continue to stick into the the shows on the tv and they're going to go back to having you charge getting charged for pay-per-view uh specific shows each month as opposed to getting to pay the subscription uh for the network i just don't see it lasting another year i mean even for even for them to have six years is pretty impressive but like like he had mentioned, it's it's just a lot of extra content that doesn't really do anything. No, and then like I said, honestly, the only thing that got it going for it right now is just the original documentaries. That's the only thing that's got it going yeah. for. It doesn't like a good documentary. No, they're really good. Don't get me wrong. The documentaries that WWE puts out, they're really good. Like the like I said, like the one I saw was the AG Styles on the Untold. Because I have a series called Untold, which talks about the behind the scenes stuff, a certain moments, and it talked about when AJ made his debut at the Rumble in 2016. No one saw that coming. What I like about it is it gave a story behind him leading up to that moment, you know, where he grew up in Georgia. He went to kind of, you know, high school and stuff in college and how he got into the wrestling business, basically. Why he turned down a developmental deal in 2001 because his, what he wanted, his wife at the time was finishing school. She wanted to be a teacher, so he waited because he didn't want to move to Cincinnati because that's what the developmental territory was. So, because there was no performance center back then, like I said, performance center only been around for since 2015. So, and it's a good story. Definitely check it out, AJ. Untold story, AJ just tells a Rumble debut. Um, but like I said, we'll see how this acquisition goes. I hopefully, with me wise, it's now with NBC investing in it. It means now they gotta try to push. That, that it sets an expectation. What the program should be going going forward? Yeah, those guys gotta at least he's gotta. I feel like he's gotta be open minded with uh, how. I mean, I, I I then again, I don't know. I just think this guy's an asshole, so he's he's <laughs> gonna like give him the one ear and out the other bit, and 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 as much as like 
as much as I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of hardcore fans of that. Like, like, listen, I, everyone's got their thing, and and if your thing is wrestling and you want it to still continue uh, into the next decade, hey, all power to you. Mm. But I, I don't know, man. I, I, I just don't. I don't, don't understand. I really don't. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's it's interesting to see what Peacock's doing. Yeah, not the move I would have made, but it's it's their call, and and they do also are in a specific position to where they do have to compete with this big numbers, and, and it's an interesting time to do it, you know, with uh, with trying with grabbing their original content back, and, and then trying to bring some other stuff to make their platform uh, uh, something that to Netflix. <laughs> something that you know it, it hits a market, and mm-hmm. it makes sense, um, and people are on the go. I mean, even if COVID still being around it, it doesn't seem it, it, like uh and something i wanted to segue into really quick before i wrap up but um mm-hmm. i found this interesting article considering that we saw a lot of commercials with like uh and this is a pivot for sure but uh i found an article about non-alcoholic beer hmm. um and we saw a lot of commercials ranging even within uh last year with subal putting in throughout the year with uh, companies like heineken uh bud light like, which they've always had. They've always had non-alcoholic beer options. Even at any bar you go to, they always have that as an option for DDs to where they don't seem like they're standing out. Because we all know we have friends. When you get drunk, they always want to try to peer pressure you to having drinks. Especially if you're the DD, they, they, they seem to hammer in harder. Uh, but non-alcoholic beer, like Old Duels, that's been around for years, it's always been a good option because you kind of get the taste of beer without the, the effects of, of oh, impairment okay. with alcohol. And then you don't... And as a social crutch... It doesn't seem like you can kind of fit in. So um, I found an article on Pace.com, mm. and it's saying that uh, non-alcoholic beer sales surged up 38% in 2020, oh, wow. even as regular beer sales have shrunk. Because um, I think with the whole Bud Lighter, I think the whole uh, seltzer water movement too. Oh, yeah, they had mentioned that. Good thing. Uh, he, it says, uh, for reasons that should be obvious to even the most casual observer, 2020 was an exceptionally tough year for the beer industry. We haven't seen an overall figure just yet for how much beer, U.S. beer sales were down as a whole, but considering that they shrank roughly 2.3% in 2019 leading into 2020, in its fourth straight year of decline, it's almost certain those numbers were for 2020 were going to be brutal. Huh. There's a bevy of obvious factors that this can point to. The displacement of beer by hard seltzer, uh, the lack of on-premise consumption during the pandemic, so yeah, bars, bars restaurants. Bars, restaurants, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and, and as well as concerts. Like and sporting events too. Yeah. It's a big moneymaker for alcohol. Um, the uh, consumption during the pandemic and a growing interest in health conscious drinking, which uh, seltzer water, seltzer, hard seltzer drinks have really contributed to that for people who want a lighter option. I mean, it's water with alcohol. You can't beat that. So yeah, because the, the calorie wise, it's yeah, kinda... calorie wise, it's good. Um, but don't get me wrong, the Globe Ultra is really good. Yeah, yeah, it's solid. I mean, it's it's doing its job. Um, but it says. Even with the health conscious playing as far, Brewers Association divine craft brewers were hit particularly hard, yeah. as the chief economist Bart Watson recently estimated in, that a small and independent brewers were on track to see an overall decline of 7 to 8% in oh, 2020, wow. adding that it will likely take them several years to recover in, from 2019 levels thanks to the lingering pandemic. One area of strength, however, has been non-alcoholic beer. Hmm. Um, he, he switches to, reserve, to refer to it as NA beer. Still makes up a tiny, tiny fraction of the overall beer market, but it's also one of the only corners of the market that has been growing and thriving even during the pandemic. Yeah. In fact, a market research firm, IRI, 
estimates that the U.S. sales of non-alcoholic beer were ultimately up 38% in 2020 to roughly $188 million in total sales, despite all the challenges that's been uh, facing the service industry as a whole. Um, they attribute to this growth as, as they no doubt speaks to societal and cultural reevaluation of what non-alcoholic beer is, and which was so often the butt of perpetual jokes in decades past. This is no longer the case. In a time where wellness, health and wellness is a driven marketing uh, tool, it has become the norm. And with millennials and Gen Z consumers drinking less alcohol in general than previous generations, NA beer has never had more of a cultural cachet than it does right now. So to have those options available to craft beer drinkers improved mildly in terms of their genuine quality over the years, as some of its own tastings here at Paste have indicated, there are now breweries and microbreweries specializing entirely in lineups of non-alcoholic craft beer styles. While we did see over this past decade that the craft beer, uh, the craft beer market has been something that was been very saturated, saturated once um, craft beer took kind of like a mainstream hit mm-hmm. or push. Uh, and there's other major, other major regional breweries such as BrewDog are producing non-alcoholic beer brand varieties as well, and and in a variety of styles rather than just a single one. So, I think it's very interesting um, that we're seeing kind of a wellness being a lead factor in this, and I think that I I like that, um, especially for people who if they do want to consume alcohol well into past their you know their their twenties their prime years for drinking because yeah that's always gonna be a prime year for drinking uh well into yeah because like i went through your theories it kind of like your body kind of oh yeah i mean your your metabolism starts to decline and and you you need to be a little more aware of where your health can be and where mm-hmm. it can go so uh i think it's interesting that mainstream brands uh which he had mentioned here a majority of the growth in the in the na space is still concentrated in a handful of brands from multinational brewing conglomerates such as market leader heineken uh, which is the, which their brand is 0.0, which has been extremely successful since its introduction in 2017. Other mega breweries have followed suit with this from AB and InBev's new Budweiser, which AB InBev's is literally the biggest distributor in, in, in uh, alcoholic products in this country. Mm-hmm. Like your shit does not run outside of that. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so in it's new Budweiser Zero in 2020 to Guinness. Guinness. A board of release of Guinness 0.0 earlier this year. Wow, so Guinness is getting into it as well. Which ended up being recalled only weeks later due to a risk of microbiological contamination. Okay, okay. so that wasn't good. Um, Likewise, if you zoom out a bit, it's easy to see how a small slice of the pie we're talking about. But when we talk about this category in the U.S., it's even after the growth in 2020, this segment still only makes up 0.5% of all beer sales. Mm -hmm. So from it to go to... Up at least 0.3% from two years ago, and it's hard to not extrapolate from there. And it's roughly the rate of growth. And it's interesting to see that it's going to probably be rising up one or two percent of all U.S. beer market sales from a few near uh, during the next com- upcoming years. So it's uh, and I think he does make a note of the the craft beer market and how it's yeah, like I mentioned before, he talks about how it was following a similar path, but it now has become saturated. Because there's a big substantial chunk of the overall market, it has its own dollar share within there. So it, oh god, it shares. Let's see. Um, and, and internationally, the NA beer market is up to about thirteen percent of the beer market sales. So 
which is pretty hefty. I mean, and I mean, I'm pretty sure America is probably one of the biggest countries that consumes beer. So and, and other alcoholic beverages compared to spirits and stuff. But the like I said, like you, you bring up a point. It's because you know with COVID and stuff, and yeah. people want to be healthy and stuff. Yeah, you saw a spike in hard seltzer because the marketing behind it. It's like everybody was doing it. Like I don't know who was the first one to do it. Was a White Claw who did who introduced it? Not exactly. But it's been, it, it was one that took the, it, it was definitely one of the popular ones. To the point where you had Corona start doing it, like. Oh, yeah, Bud Light. Bud Light, Budweiser now. Ampire's just yeah. trying to get into that market as well. Then you got all these other brands as well getting into it as well. Because it's like, I think it's a death for people that, you know, they want, you know, they want the water. You know, at the, the same time, like, the calorie-wise. Yeah, that's funny, because I was doing that shit in 2017. I was just mix it like me and my roommates would just mix uh, where we get like seltzer water, or sparkling water, and just put vodka in it. So that's what that's essentially what they're doing. They're just using. It's like what, what our our buddy Mondo does too when he mixes like bourbon. And he usually has just like. Oh, I mean, yeah, you can, but the bad. Well, he said or like gin, like gin and tonic water sometimes. Yeah, too. yeah, that's that's fairly similar. Um, but like in regards to what White Claw is, it's literally just water and malt liquor. And that's not necessarily the best. And what's good about this competition starting is a, is the fact that like there's a lot of good brands coming out with uh, a better take on what you can really do with water and and solid alcohol. I mean, yeah. we see ones that are using botanical flavorings. Um, some who are using like I think there's like an organic one now. Like there's yeah. organic ones now. Which as they should. I mean, White Claw sure it's the most marketable one, but it, I think it. If you really do the taste test and compare it to the other ones, it's it's definitely the shittiest one. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've gotten to try some different ones, um, then we see them the same companies like Truly coming out with like tea blends, and so I think that space is good, especially for people. I mean, you can really get fucked up off those things rather quickly. So it's it's one of those things too. It's like it's water, so like you definitely you need your water intake. But alcohol is definitely something that should be partaken responsibly regardless of what you're using as a vessel to take that and that kind of segues to like the anime that i want to pull up i didn't talk about too much um but right now is i wanted to bring up one that's like alcohol because um the one anime i want to talk about is for this week um definitely it's it came out this year it's on funimation because if you notice like if you haven't read the news last year that Sony, Picture Japan, well, their parent company of Funimation, who you know are based out not only in California, but based in, in Texas as well. Uh, with with Sony Pictures Japan being the 95% shareholder, they are buying Crunchyroll for almost about a billion dollars, a billion yen. And it's being seen now with the new anime season coming out. Like last year, when it comes to anime, there wasn't that much out last year. There wasn't that much anime because, you know, pandemic. A lot of stuff got pushed back to this year. Production-wise, because, of, you know, Japan, when it comes to, like, production and stuff, when it comes to health, they're really, when it comes to health, they're really, like, on top when it comes to trying to deal with diseases and stuff. When it comes to medical care. Um, so, with that acquisition in mind, I'm... Like, I have Crunchyroll. I have Funimation. I've been noticing lately that a lot of new animes are now on Funimation versus on Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll, because right now, Crunchyroll being slowly... They haven't said yet when, because they still have to go to, like, the regulations. 
when any acquisition has to go to like courts and stuff to make sure it's fair, you know, like a fair thing. It's not a monopoly. Because you see this, like you said, we're talking about when Peacock and WWE. It's the same thing. Cultural, because Martin, Warner Media, when you don't realize when AT&T bought Warner Brothers and it became Warner Media, they incurred a lot of debt. Mm-hmm. So to, to pay the debt, they're trying to solve as much property as you can. Case in point, Crunchyroll, which to me is one of those companies that came up in the late two thousand, like mid two thousands. It was started by a group of guys from college who, at first, was getting was streaming anime because it, back then the only time you got your anime fixes either through piracy, but they were able, the guys were able to find a way to get deals with licensors to show their content on their websites, on their site, so you can get the same day as Japan. Um, which blew up when they got investors, became modern media, owned Crunchyroll. And because I think it's become one of the most recognizable brands out there when it comes to anime streaming in the West. Which now, with anime streaming, you got, you know, not only you got Crunchyroll, Funimation, High Dive now, um, you got, of course, you got, you know, Netflix investing in anime, Hulu has anime, Amazon has a certain amount of anime, but... Netflix, you know, going into like absorbing, like investing in their own as well. And then Sony seeing that as like a competition. And, you know, and they were talks. They worked together in the past. You know, they had that partnership a few years back. But of course, it only lasted until Sony bought Funimation where they had to end the partnership. Because they had like a, a distribution like partnership deal where they were sharing content across the board. Mm-hmm. And then now with Country becoming part of Funimation, we'll see later this year. What's going to happen is I'm starting to see like a, the, like a lot of the new stuff's either going to be on Funimation now and Crunchyroll, like a lot of new stuff is slowly starting to disappear from Crunchyroll. They're not getting a lot of the new seasons. Um, now, it's funny. now get me wrong, both apps are not bad, but it depends because I got I have a Roku, so the, the interface is kind of different. But I kind of like the Roku interface of Funimation versus the interface that's on Fire Stick and stuff. And the Crunchyroll interface, I used to like on the Fire Stick versus how it is on Roku. Um, but that brings out to my attention this anime in general because it came out of Funimation. Even though the, um, this is called um, Cells at Work Code Black. It's a spinoff of the regular, uh, of the main series, um, Cells at Work. Where Cells at Work talks about, Cells at Work is basically like um, what your cells look like inside the body. They're humanized cells. But they represent your cells in your body for a growing body. How they handle diseases and situations. This one in particular, pretty much, sorry, behind cells where cold black is, it shows you what happens to a body that doesn't take care of themselves and what the cells in your body tries to survive, basically. They try to survive their world, basically. And, and like each episode t- tackles certain issues. There was one episode on alcohol. There was a, like the last episode talked about how the cell was recovering after. Uh, I think the last episode I saw when I was overwork and um, hair loss. It talks about how stress on the body leads to hair loss and stuff, and what alcohol does to your blood cells. It's really good. It's funny because it follows this one um, red blood cell. You know. He's new, and he's he's trying to help do his best to help the body, and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, he gets brought up, and basically, um, I don't know, I was trying to pull up the information about it. Here we go. 
And so far, like I said, here we go. Let's see if it pulled up. Here we go. Similar to the original series, the set is, is set in the world of anthropomorphic cells working in the body. It follows a life of a rookie um, erythrocyte, which is known as the red blood cell. And I like they had has their numbers, like their number dictations. And a neutrophil, U1196, as they work in a poorly maintained middle-aged body, burning by just stress, smoking, drinking, and the like. Um, causing complications in the cells work in the living environment. Chapter usually consists of cells having to face an ailment, vice, or symptom of an unhealthy lifestyle or an overcoming with the, with the help of medications or surgical procedures. The series tackles dark content in the original Dustin in Black beginning with the 11th chapter. So basically, in the, in the anime itself, it talks about... And I like what the anime is so far, it tackles like the definitions like erectile dysfunction. What Tobias does to try to get stuff up, you know? Yeah. And it's really good, dude. The animation's, like, really good. I do recommend it. I mean, Sozo Works Not Bad because it's kind of, like, that wholesome... But I like the way they made these characters, like, these humanized versions of these cells. Because they make the white blood cells their warriors, their army, you know? They work hard. But in this version, when Sozo Works Cold Black, the, they kind of flip the genders. So, all, like, in the regular cells of work, mostly the males are the white blood cells and the red blood cells are a mix of male and female. And the platelets are like kindergartners. But here, in the cells were cold black, all the females are white blood cells and they're busty and stuff. And all the males are the red blood cells. But the body's getting overworked where they're trying their best to deliver oxygen and nutrients throughout the cells in the body. And you can tell the body's bad when, you, when they're going through the, the bloodstream. And all you see is like this crust of cholesterol and stuff. And the left side of the cell is like, you can't go through this capillary because it's full of bad cholesterol. It's like... Sounds like osmosis jobs. Yeah, but it's much more detailed because they actually, what I like about it is, um, if you watch this sub, because they have it on dub now on Funimation, I think it's on Netflix too, like if you watch the original series, they give you a detail of what each cell does, like they give you like their functions and stuff, so you learn a little bit of medical stuff on there. Um, but for the kids, you want to see, I would say recommend the regular cells of work. I think the cells of work cold blacks more for the young adult viewer. Because it, it, it tackles things like, like, you know, rectal dysfunction, smoking, on um, what smoking does to the body, on um, what drinking does to the body, what stress does to the body, or, you know, ulcers. Mm-hmm. But it's really good. So definitely check it out. Cells of Work Cold Black. It's currently airing on Funimation right now, on Sub. I think it's on Fridays or Saturdays they have it on there. Um, right now there's like five episodes right now. Definitely check it out. And then check out Cells of Work itself if you want the more lightheartedness of a growing body. Because, uh you want to see that as well because, like I said, it's, it's real informative because they go into detail. They show you what bacteria looks like, how they draw bacteria. Stuff's kind of cool um, because, like, when cells were cold black, they have them with a gonorrhea. Looks freaking freaky as hell. But definitely check it out. Cells of work for the lightheartedness. It's also available on Crunchyroll the first season, but they got the second season now out on Funimation. I believe it's on Hulu. I'm not sure, but I know the first season of Cells of Work is available on Netflix itself. And I've seen the dub of it for Souls at Work. It's not bad. It's really well done. Uh, so definitely check it out. But if you want the more dark stuff, check it out. Souls at Work Cold Black. So that's my re- anime recommendation for the week. And that's pretty much it. Uh, Biko, you have anything else to add before we wrap up? Um, yeah, just uh, uh, I had actually a light pro tip. Though. Yeah, go ahead. No, because I know that I have it pulled up. Um, this one in particular, uh, is, uh, what, what So this is for the people out there, uh, during the pandemic who, 
who have been having trouble with sleeping or have tried, or if you have a work from home schedule that you seem to can't get on top of, uh, in between, you know, trying to get Zoom classes set up for your children, if you have them, or just trying to build up a solid routine throughout the week and trying to find a fine line within your living space between work and trying to have home, a uh, home to separate that balance. Uh, this one says, if you need to fix your sleeping schedule, set up an alarm for a set time every single day. Focus on this rather than on the, 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 the sleep itself because it will naturally flow, follow along, um, which I know it sounds like pretty pretty basic and normal, like, oh yeah, we'll common sense, man. But no, that's the truth. Uh, you could still fall asleep late, but if you, your body right away kind of teaches itself very fast especially if you have to wake up at a certain time for the next day like say for instance you you want to you you have to clock in at eight on your computer but you're trying very hard to wake up at like seven instead of like seven fifty five <laughs> just to just to roll over and hit that clock button just to show that you're online so maybe try maybe you want to get a routine in the morning going like an exercise routine or you want to have extra time to make breakfast or you if you have like i said if you have children you want to get their their day started um, a lot of, a lot of the people, and I'll use like uh, successful entrepreneurs, for example, a lot of them people wake up at that same time every day. Um, I, even people I went to school with, they would constantly wake up at, uh, in the mornings to kind of get their workouts in just so they can get ready for a long day of classes and, and, and homework. So, mm. I mean, I used to do that a lot in school too. I had a, a, a very well-disciplined routine back in the day. I'm trying to get back into that to start my 30s off in a, in a good light and to just be more disciplined all around uh, because, yeah, the, the quarantine's still going, but I know the new year, new me, you know, you could still, get, you could, it's not a new year, new me, just we're, we're trying to build some better habits here. So just try to, even as more, and if you want to take on more content, like more animes, more shows. A, be, a good way to like get a cardio routine going is like if you have a treadmill or if you go to the gym that allows capacity still put a movie on and run like it, it's it's very serves very well as a distraction you can even put our podcast on while you're running and mm -hmm. stuff if you want a good distraction that uh, or if you want to get away from your the same playlist every time your same play workout playlist uh try mixing it up uh, try listening to a genre you normally don't or yeah just watch a movie put a movie on your phone and, and run or something something that like takes you out of your ordinary routine but sleep is just as important for that guys. oh yeah uh i can't stress this as enough as someone who has been having trouble sleeping his whole life i think it's so important and and as you age it, it only gets harder so just try to try to set up an alarm uh it, it works every time and look, guys, uh, the restrictions on certain areas are starting to come up again. We're going to hopefully be on top of this later in the year. Who knows? But uh, the best thing you can do is make your living situation better than what it once was. And especially if you want to get a better sleep routine going, um, there's plenty of apps out there that can help you with that. Uh, meditation is a big thing that can help. Uh, CBD is, is wonderful to help people sleep. Uh, I recommend that as well. Or just drinking chamomile tea, stuff like that. Uh, plenty of things to help, you know, soothe your body into a comfortable, a comfortable uh, mood to get some shut eye. Um, and it's it's so fucking important, as I guess as a human being. Um, but yeah, that that's my that's my life pro tip of the week. That was weird. But yeah. Okay, guys. Um, that will do it. Thank you so much, Biko. Um, thank you guys so much for listening this week. 
We just completed episode 99, guys. So next week is the big 100. So you guys still have time to send suggestions of what you want me and Biko to have for our 100 episode. Um, like I said, you can follow us on Twitter at PopTalkin, all one word. Use the hashtag Pop100 to send your suggestions. Um, you can follow me. If you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at TheFranchise85. I am a gamer. I'm on Twitch. I'm the casual gamer, to put in fact. Um, you can follow me on Twitch.tv slash Franchise 685. I do a lot of like JRPG story based games, kind of like similar to like the Telltale series, um, JRPGs, your standard role playing games. Um, um, I did pick up Scott Program vs. the World, the video game, for the 10th anniversary. So I am planning on having that stream soon. I might be go along with it, but you can check out my backlog and my streams. Once again, that is twitch.tv slash franchise. 685. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash talkandpop. Make sure to hit that like button so that way you get notified when we put up new episodes. Make sure to follow us on Twitter as well. Um, you should check out our merch store. Go to teespring.com slash store. Search for talkandpop. We got shirts with new designs. Um, as you can tell, we got a new logo out that I just debuted today. So hopefully I will get that put on a t-shirt soon. So you guys have that piece of history as well. Um, be safe out there. I know if you lived in the Midwest, you got hit with snow this morning or last night going into this morning. So hopefully you guys were able to get to your work safely and commute wise. Um, but I know you people had the vortex last week, but I think we're going to have a little cold spell, but not that bad this week. Um, like I said, thank you so much for joining me and Biko this week. Um, take care of yourselves. Be safe. You know, we'll get through this. Um, as always, geek on. Take care. We'll see you again next week. Hey, it's the franchise from Talking Pop with the franchise of Biko. Just letting you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Pop. We got shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs, and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Pops or Not logo on there. Also, we have stickers, so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, wherever you want to put those stickers on there. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TalkPop and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care.